At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning from the Bow. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for Coast to Coast with myself, Greg Hughes Peters, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. We've got an excellent podcast for you. We're going to be joined in segment number two by Rob Donaldson. He does great work with the show slash podcast, Rob's Best Best Show, and He's going to be talking to me about what he's been noticing recently out there in college basketball, what has been leading to so many of these upsets, what has been working slash not working for him in terms of betting on college basketball. We're also going to be taking a look at how to gauge some of these battles like we're going to be seeing on Wednesday with defense-oriented teams going up against offensive-oriented teams, how to take a look at spreads of six from a total perspective if you think that there's going to be late game falling and obviously diving in on these Wednesday games. And then in the final segment, going to get you guys picks and analysis. On every game on the betting board for this college basketball Wednesday, as we do at some bank shots, if you have a question, comment, segment, idea, whatever you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at gnn underscore. Keep in mind, letters M. Maybe it does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And from there, you're able to fire on whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. Really did not get in any Twitter slash X questions today, and I'll probably have some cleanup on the podcast tomorrow. The Greg Peterson Experience on Visa, the Sports Bank Network. That is from midnight to three Eastern time, nine to midnight Pacific. So I do have to record these recaps right around about 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern, seven Pacific. So do you need to do this at a little bit of advance? And we do have quite a few games from the Tuesday slate that are currently at halftime. But let's take a look back at everything that we have gone in college basketball over the last 24 hours. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game through yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. A team that has been relatively beastly against the spread is currently in a battle. South Carolina entered into the day 12-4 against the spread. Currently up 33-34 to at the half on Georgia. They close laying about seven and a half, seven or so points. So we shall see what happens there. And right now it's been a turnaround for Arkansas. We shall see what happens here. Nothing is a sure bet with Arkansas, but at the end of the first half, they're up double figures. As I record this, about 90 seconds left in the first half, up 41 to 27, an Arkansas team that I've been saying the last few days are right now looking like a bottom three team in the SEC. And 
Part of the reason why right now they are succeeding is that Texas A&M, 0 of 14 from three-point range, and Texas A&M entered into this game in the bottom 20 in all of college basketball in terms of three-point shooting percentage. And you've got an Arkansas team that's 10 of 10 at the free throw line, 5 of 10 from three-point range with Draymond Mark chipping in their 13 points. So shall see what happens there. But lots of intrigue out there in the SEC. Alabama was able to get the win, and they were able to get the cover against Missouri by a count of 93 to 75. This game absolutely exploded late. And by the way, Missouri was actually halfway close in this game. They were down 74 to 66 in the final five minutes. And in the final five minutes of this game, you saw north of 30 points to be able to cash you the over. So if you had that, and I did have the over, good on you as Alabama, 13 of 27 from three-point range. Aaron Action Escrado, Ryan Griffin, they were both able to give you 21 points. And for Missouri, they did have Nick Honor, Tamar Bates be able to combine for 37 points. Connor Vanover, he played nine minutes in this game. Why they're not giving him more minutes, I have absolutely no idea. But I mean, right now, it's looking like some dysfunction for Missouri. And right now, it's just utter chaos for Florida. Florida, another non-cover for them. Tennessee is able to absolutely wax them by a count of 85 to 66. And for Florida, this has been one of your worst against the spread teams in all of college basketball. Missouri is now 4-12 against the spread. Florida is 6-10-1 against the spread. And Arkansas entered in the night 4-12 against the spread. So you got a lot of teams out there in the SEC that are not making you money. And for Tennessee, Dalton Connect, well, he was connecting from three-point range, four of six from distance, 39 points, an absolutely massive performance out of him, and for Florida, some utter sadness. My DK Network write-up, we got another winner, guys. We're now 13 games above 500. I had the over in NC State versus Wake Forest, and it took about 500 hours to be able to get the final two minutes of the game played, but NC State, they get the job done by a count of 83-76. to 76. Wake Forest has been quite a good over team thus far this season, so we do like to see that, and for NC State... They win this game while going 0 of 8 from three-point range. You don't see that very often, but DJ turned it up horn, was able to give the team 21 points, turned into quite a foul fest, which that was very good for the over. And for Wake Forest, it is a team that just doesn't have a lot of depth in general. They got two points off the bench, Austin Carr, along with Kevin Boopy Miller, a combined 49 points. But Wake Forest has not been the same team on the road as they have been at home. So that was a little bit of an issue for them. And what has been an issue for Pittsburgh has been step-up games. Against Syracuse, they lose the season series 69-58. to Syracuse is able to get it done. As for Pittsburgh, defense was relatively fine in this spot, but the offense went 5 of 26 from three firing chip for Syracuse. They go 10 of 17 from three. This was an outlier, but JJ Starlin, Judah Mintz, they were able to combine for 31 points, about 12 rebounds between the two of them. As for Syracuse, they were able to do a very solid job in that regard, though they did lose the rebound battle by a count of 40 to 36, but also won the turnover battle. And for Pittsburgh, man, it has not been going so tremendously for them. For TCU, they've fallen overtime to Cincinnati by a count of 81 to 77. And anyone that had the under, I am talking about myself in this spot. That was relatively brutal. A push on a lot of closing numbers. You saw anywhere between three and a half and four. For our TCU betters, this might have been a tough luck loser slash a tough luck per push. And for Cincinnati betters as well, you might have gotten a push on this one as well. But A.D. Thomas was able to step up 21 big points for Cincinnati. And TCU goes 11-25 from three-point range, but lost this game by losing the turnover battle 
19 to 15, and also went 6 of 12 at the free throw line, though Cincinnati in their own right. They went just 11 of 21 at the charity stripe as well. So, very fascinating game out there. And then we always get a lot of action on these Tuesdays as well. And Kent State has been one of your best over teams in all of college basketball. They played yet another over. They were able to get the job done against Northern Illinois by kind of 83 to 76. They were laying about 4.5 points in this spot as well. So, they were able to get there with that regard. And the MAC has been full of a lot of teams going over the total quite a bit, with Kent State right now being the headliners, 10 overs and 4 unders for them, but for Northern Illinois, you did have Xavier Amos be able to go off for 20 points in this game, but for Kent State, 11-23 from 3, and they win this game despite allowing Northern Illinois to go 13-23 of 23 from distance. Miami of Ohio is now 9-5 and five to the over. You had Bowling Green be able to take them down 78-73. to 73. And don't sleep on this Bowling Green team. This was a pick'em game with a total of 144.5. So you got an over. And Bowling Green has been starting to really play some overs. But Marcus Hill, he was able to chip in their 23 big points. So that was a tremendous win. What else was tremendous was the Duquesne versus Richmond game. The itsy bitsy spiders of Richmond get the job done as an underdog. 63-61. to 61. Game that went very, very harmlessly under the total as for Richmond, they lose their rebound battle by kind of 31 to 30, but they had out there Neil Quinn, the most versatile player out there on the floor. 16 points, 8 boards, multiple blocks in this one. You did have Jimmy Clark for Duquesne chip in there, 16 points, but for Richmond, they find a way to eke this one out. A very good win for them out there in and Atlantic 10. There's all sorts of crazy and what else has been all sorts of crazy? Take a look at how awesome this Indiana State team is. Another win and another cover. 88-66. to 66. They just completely land base. Missouri State, Indiana State, by the way, now 10-6 and six against the spread this season. Ryan Conwell was able to chip in their 26 big points for Indiana State. They go 11-26 from three-point range, a team that just won't stop shooting and hitting threes. So that was a very tremendous result for them. And this was a spot where SMU probably just got a little bit overinflated. They closed as between 13 to 13 and a half point favorites. Most had a closing line of 13. So this will probably go as a push for a lot of people. SMU gets the job done by a count of 77 to 64 against Temple. We give our own to Lane Kiffin. Go Owls. And for SMU, they entered in the day 10 and 5 against the spread. Meanwhile, Temple, they have really been having a rough time of being able to cover any numbers whatsoever, which is why we have seen these things get so out of sorts with them. They entered in the night 6 9 and 1 against the spread. And for Temple, they went just 7 of 28 from three point range. Lane Kiffin would not be proud. So go Owls there. But that was a little bit of a brutal one there. But that said, for SMU, just continuing to do a gr- tremendous job defensively. Top 20 team in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And if you were a Temple backer in this one, they were down two points with about seven minutes remaining. As a matter of fact, it was tied with seven and a half minutes remaining. And they managed to lose this game by 13 points. So should be feeling a little bit salty there. And then we did see Purdue be able to get it done against Indiana. 87 to 66 on the road. Just when it looked like Indiana was starting to find a little bit of something at home. It comes just completely crashing down. And this Purdue team, unlike last year where they had a lot of non-covers in conference play, they've been looking much more dominant in conference play. They are now 10-6-2 against the spread this far this season. Meanwhile, for Indiana, they are currently below 500 against the spread. For Indiana, they were making a nice charge towards the beginning part of the second half, but just too much Zach Eady. 33 points, 14 rebounds for Indiana. They do go 8-24 of 24 from three-point range, but they lose a turnover battle. They lose a rebound battle. And on top of that, Fletcher Lawyer, along with Lance Jones, were able to combine for 36 big points for this Purdue team. Outside of Zach Eady, you just have a lot of different options. They're able to come through, and coming through as well was Xavier. The X-Men, they take down Butler 
by kind of 85 to 71. And this was a game where Xavier controlled from the outset. And then things got really hairy. In the middle of the second half, things got tied up by kind of 60 to 60. And as a matter of fact, Butler took a little bit of a lead with 11 minutes remaining, but he scored 11 points in the final 11 minutes of the game. As for Xavier, they were able to go 10 of 21 from three-point range. For Butler, the well just ran dry for them late, and they lost the rebound battle by kind of 43 to 35. So that was relatively brutal for them. And currently, as I'm doing this, it looks like Air Force is going to get a quality cover. They were catching double figures against Colorado State, currently 36 to 31, with 14 minutes remaining in the second half. And it's looking like Kansas is going to be able to exert their will, currently up by a count of 48 to 33 on Oklahoma State. That is a game that is at halftime. Also, need to point this out as well. This is a game that is not final, but it might as well be final. Rick Pitino is not on the sidelines for St. John's. We really didn't see a lot of line movement on this one. St. John's was about a one-point favorite. This game closed right around to pick them as I do this. Seton Hall of 57-31 on St. John's. As I mean, this has been a just complete and utter demolishing for St. John's team that it looked like they were starting to find their footing just a little bit. So if you're looking at college basketball right now, we have been seeing quite a few uh, favorites being able to cash over the last seven days. As a matter of fact, with games pending for Tuesday, favorites hitting at a 53.2% clip over the last seven days. 167, 147, and three against the spread. Meanwhile, overs and unders are relatively 50-50. 156 overs to 158 unders. If you look at the entirety of the college basketball season, though, still has been overwhelming. 1,421 overs to 1,356 unders, 51.2% rate to the over. Home underdogs overall this season, not as hot as they typically are. 347, 345, and 13 against the spread. Meanwhile, overall favorites are hitting at 51%. 1,409, 1,352, and 45 against the spread. So that's what we're seeing right now in college basketball, and that's what we all got on Tuesday. I have a little bit of cleanup for tomorrow, so it's a great Peterson experience. Experiences on VEASAN, the Esports Betting Network. But coming up next, we're going to be taking a look at Wednesday's slate with Rob Donaldson. We're going to be getting some of the picks that he likes, just some of the angles that he's taking a look at in general in terms of a lot of these favorites on the road following these ranked teams and how we can actually utilize the rankings to be able to find ourselves a little bit of money, but not necessarily utilizing them for our handicapping. That's up next right here on Coast Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Peters, and Mel, apart from the VEASAN Family Podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? 
Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Everybody do 
your lovely Las Vegas for Just Guessings with myself, Craig Ames Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. It is always great to be joined by this man. It's Rob Donaldson. He does such excellent work taking a look at this game that we all know and love of college basketball. He is dialed into everything that we are seeing. And on top of that, I know that he is doing a tremendous job taking a look at the NFL slate as well as he does a great job on the NFL and college football board as well. You're able to catch all of his work over on his YouTube feed, youtube.com slash Rob Donaldson. He does the Rob's Best Bets show over there. And for all of his picks on Twitter slash X, that is at Rob DFB altogether. And Rob, it is always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much. Yes, it is always a pleasure, Greg, to hop on here and talk ball with you, especially because... This is really our season. We're competing with the NFL playoffs is really in, I guess if you're, you watch the NBA, I'm not too crazy about that league, but college basketball is every single night and we get these great matchups like ETSU versus Wofford that a lot of people would never care about if betting wasn't involved, but here we are and I'm ready to have some fun with it. Oh, absolutely. And I know that a lot of your plays, they do come on a lot of these low to mid-major games as well. How do you go about just deciphering these games? What sort of things do you take a look at? Because I really do think that some of the best value that you can find on the college basketball board is by straying away from the power six and taking a look at things like the SoCon. If you want to get really daring going into the extra games board, like on Monday, we always get a lot of MEAC and SWAC action, everything like that. And I think that it could be highly profitable if done right. Yeah, 100%. And what I've always told people is, you know, these low majors and these mid majors, you know, they don't have that name brand value and maybe these millions and millions of dollars worth of facilities and cool arenas and crazy fan bases on social media. But they do take on a lot of characteristics in terms of just their play style and, and how they're coached that you'll see at the high major level. Maybe they just don't have as deep of a roster as, you know, some of these teams that are maybe in like the Big East or the Big Ten or the SEC, but they're all still talented. And within their individual leagues, if you actually take some time to get to know these teams, you're going to see like, oh, you know, I can look at Radford and say that team kind of reminds me of a Virginia-esque squad where they're playing physical defense, they're getting in your face, and the offensive side kind of builds off of that defense. And then you can watch a team like, Samford, who drops 134 points. And as an Iowa fan, you know, that immediately sticks a coin with me and say, oh, you know, they play a lot like Iowa in terms of how they score, where the output comes from. And so if you actually care about, you know, diving into these teams, there's a ton of value going away from the mainstream and it's enjoyable to watch and just become more knowledgeable about. Yeah, it is a lot of fun. I do think that there is so much good value to be had on some of these lesser games. It's always where people aren't looking at it. I always say money is money. It does not matter if you're betting on the Super Bowl, if you're betting on Duke versus North Carolina, or if you're taking a look at North Carolina A&T versus Hampton. If you're able to cash a ticket, <laughs> you're able to cash a ticket granted. Your limits in Hampton versus North Carolina A&T for the very, very big rollers might be a little bit lower, but that said, to cash a ticket whenever humanly possible. And Rob, what have you made out of the landscape of college basketball over the past week or two? Because I just have been really floored by the amount of upsets that we've had. I can't say that I'm like super stunned because we always see these teams when they have their first road test always struggle a little bit. And it feels like it was a lot of that over the last week or so where we saw in a 72 hour time span four of the top five teams in college basketball lose. Yeah. And especially in these conference games going on the road, unless you're, you know, Purdue going to Indiana, I guess. But if, if you're one of these top 10, top 15, top 20 teams, who's going on the road against a team like who's just unranked. I mean, you look at Iowa State, Houston going up against Iowa State. 
I don't think you and I are completely surprised by that result. And that's going to be the same when a team like Kansas steps into Lubbock or a team like a Tennessee steps into, you know, a Mississippi State environment. There are going to be just certain aspects that come out in conference play where that home edge is so massive and is so prevalent and it can't be ignored. And it happens every single year because a lot of these games really truly do come down to a couple of possessions. And if the possessions break the right way in favor of the home team that has the crowd behind them and maybe doesn't get necessarily nervous because of experience or what have you, you know, there's a lot of value in backing those teams and fading the perception of these ranked numbers next to these programs. Yep, absolutely. And I do think that there is so much value in just being able to take a look at these teams at home when it comes to conference play. And I want to get your thoughts on this because as we know, bookmakers, they do not look at the polls whatsoever. And I do think that there's one way to be able to take a look at these polls and to be able to find a little bit of value. And that's finding a team where maybe they're a little bit of an upstart and now they're coming into the top 25. Like I thought James Madison a few weeks ago was a very good example. They're very happy being like, oh, we're ranked here. Or maybe you get like some upstart, like if Clemson cracks a top 10 or something like that, they're happy that they're in the top 10 and then promptly fading these teams. I don't know how you take a look at just really the rankings, but I think that that's about the only good thing that the polls are for is for being able to fade a team that is maybe getting ranked a little bit too high because past that, I think they're they're about as useful as a poopy flavored lollipop. <laughs> well said, Greg. That's really well said and 100% agree with you. I mean, you look at a team like, for example, Ole Miss, who is potentially having the, the highest their stock has ever been in the past 10 years or so. And, you know, they're sitting at 15 and one. They've won some pretty decent, respectable games. They have Chris Beard at their back. Sure. But there's going to be a stretch here where against the spread um, in particular, they're going to run into some issues. And, you know, even, you know, just kind of looking at another team that maybe necessarily hasn't looked the sharpest, but now has a really high billing next to their name that is somewhat new for this squad. It's Memphis and Penny Hardaway. I mean, this is now a top 10 theoretically in theory and on paper team just based on their ranking in the AP polls. And this is a team that really struggled against Tulsa and has had some issues down the stretch. UTSA took them to overtime. So there's quite a few teams that are putting buckets up on Memphis. And although they have a top 10 billing next to their name, you know, sometimes you just have to be a little bit wary about, you know, these teams stepping into the spotlight for the first time. Yes, I certainly do think that you need to be in. It's been a angle that I've been taking a look at quite a bit as well. And now let's take a look at a few games that we're going to be having on this college basketball Wednesday. I do think that we've got some really good ones and I want to get your thoughts on this one because I do think that home and road splits are very important to be taking a look at, but also the level of competition that you're playing because we've got this Virginia versus Virginia Tech game. Virginia opens up as a two and a half point favorite. Now it's between three to three and a half with a total of about 123 and a half to 124 and a half. What do you make out of this game where Virginia has been so much better at home rather than on the road? But also, I do think part of that is because they have played absolutely nobody at home, which has led for these big splits. Yeah, and the ACC is one of those um, conferences where you're going to see some pretty drastic home road splits. I mean, even look at a team like Pitt where, you know, at the beginning part of the season when they were experiencing some road success, they were shooting the ball lights out from three-point range. And we know just in these tight conference matchups and and with rivalries coming into play and, and seeing a team once or twice per year every single year, you're going to start to find ways to defend certain coaches and match up really well with them. 
despite what you might have on paper from a talent perspective. You know, Virginia's going through it right now. They've had three of their last four road games pop up here on the schedule. And outside of Louisville, they've lost all three of those road games. The one that was kind of sandwiched in was Louisville. They won convincingly. But you have to kind of be weary about what this Virginia team actually is. And, you know, in this matchup with Virginia Tech, I do think they're a talented team, but I think we're catching a really good buy low spot on Virginia. And when you're trying to back Virginia, you got to immediately also look at the under because I think those two kind of go hand in hand with them. The lone fear I would have in this one is if you've got a five to six point game with a minute remaining, you just have to sweat out those fouls and you just hope that it's a big giant slog before them, (laughs) which that is always something that I do need to factor into my totals. I don't know if you do that as well, but when I do see a line of like five to six, Typically, I will shade up my totals just a little bit because if it does play to that bookmaker's number, that is going to lead to some late game falling in. That could cause for some craziness and a game that you rightfully deserve an under on getting just completely torpedoed. Oh, yeah. The the late game fouling, especially in tight games and rivalry matchups where you have a lot of emotion, you're going to have teams fouling when they're down nine with 130 left on the clock. And then it just turns into every single possession is racking up buckets. So I definitely see you on that front. I think this is a game where I think Virginia could get up and just absolutely run away with it. And when you're talking about a 15 to 18 point game, obviously there's going to be some ball control going on. There's going to be less free throws and less intentional fouling. And and that's how I kind of see this game playing out in terms of a flow. Yep. If you get a double digits point differential with about a minute or so remaining, then you don't have to worry about the late game fouls. It's when you get into, as I always like to call it, the six to eight range. That's when the fouling just gets absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. And what else has been absolutely ridiculous has been taking a look at West Virginia and the sink that they've had thus far this season. But they're coming off of a nice win against Texas. But now they have to hit the road. They have to face off against an Oklahoma team. that you have to imagine they are not too happy about how the weekend went with them losing that game in the second half against Kansas. And now Oklahoma's a 13.5-point favorite. How do you decipher a spot like this where West Virginia is way down, but it is still a conference rivalry between these two and Oklahoma? They were in the top 10 last week. They were sort of in that fat and happy spot. And now I feel like they were humbled a little bit with that loss. And what's really interesting is, you know, our, and we just kind of got done talking about this, but this is another team in Oklahoma where the expectations coming into conference play or, or rather into the season were so very low in comparison to where they're sitting. You know, right now, the way that we look at a team like Oklahoma State is what we thought Oklahoma. A lot of people thought Oklahoma could be because Porter Moser hadn't really been impressive in, in, in the early goings at Oklahoma. This team had a lot of unknown names and unknown talents. And right out of the gate, you know, they 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 stormed that uh, that tournament where they played Iowa and they played USC and they won those games. Well, you know, that Iowa team was still figuring out a lot at that time. And USC is obviously now turning into sort of a mess. And when you kind of look at how this Oklahoma team rose to that spotlight, those were the games. And then in some of these bigger games recently that they played, they have gotten punked a little bit. So the fact that they're laying 13 and a half, 14 points here against West Virginia, where I think it's probably leaning towards a buy low spot in terms of their stock right now. I think it's a mesh of two really great worlds where I'm all over West Virginia and sprinkle a little bit on the money line because I do think there's a chance it's live. When it comes to this West Virginia team, when they can get back Jesse Edwards is when they're really going to be able to ascend. But with having so many guys out of the fold to begin the season with not having guys like Kirk Kreese and company and them being able to get back into the swing of things, I do think that they're going to be getting better and better as the season goes along as 
a man that always does a tremendous job and just keeps getting better. That'd be Rob Donaldson. He is joining me right here on Coast to Coast Hoops. And I do think that this is another intriguing game. You've got the defense-oriented team against the team that has been absolutely lighting it up on offense. Kentucky versus Mississippi State. Kentucky about a five-and-a-half to a six-point favorite, total of 156. How do you take a look at a game like this? Because I do think that it is so much fun taking a look at these clashing styles with Mississippi State building themselves up down low, building themselves on defense, and a Kentucky team that has all gas, no breaks, and shooting the lights out from three. Yeah, this these are two teams that I've been really impressed with in the early goings here because did I think Mississippi State would be on that fringe bubble type team? Yeah, and I think they've actually exceeded those expectations even is what I would say there, um, especially coming off you know a win against Tennessee and a, and a competitive close loss to Alabama. Obviously at home, you want to get that win, but picking up one win out of those Tennessee and Alabama games, I don't think is an overall loss. You know, you look at Kentucky, every single year feels super young because they are super young and they're just kind of essentially figuring out their roles. Well, I think that UNC Wilmington loss really woke this team up and got a lot of players functioning, working in cohesion really well. And it's, it's turned a really nice turnaround. I mean, that Florida game, when they went to Gainesville, they were getting punched in the mouth throughout the game and really dug deep in the final six, seven minutes to win that ball game by two points. And even this past Saturday against Texas A&M, they were getting punched in the mouth throughout the entire game, fought right back. And because of that, I think this is going to be one of those games that actually plays a little bit towards the under. We're seeing 156 and a half out there posted. I really do think that Kentucky is going to be seen as this offensive juggernaut because they have been dropping 90s and upper 80s. But in a game where this is going to potentially be a more physical battle with how Mississippi State plays, I think they're going to be comfortable in that element. And I think this goes soaring under. Yep, I do have the under in this one as well. I can't set my total like super duper much lower than a 156. I mean, my more like a 153, but I'm right there with you. I do think that it's a little bit easier to slow a team down than it is to speed one up. I do think that Kentucky being able to just maintain control of the ball, not turning it over, I think that that is going to be consistent for them. But I do think that the three-point shooting, that is going to be dropping off to help out with that under as well. And Rob, we do have ourselves a big slate of college basketball for this Wednesday. Like we were talking about, I know that you're looking at some big games, you're looking at some small games, you're looking at some mid-majors. What else on the board do you all like for this Wednesday? You know, there are so many different angles I could go. I could start in the Horizon League. I could talk about the SoCon. But I'm going to talk about a conference that I think everybody has been pretty ingratiated with over the years. And that's we're staying in the SEC for this pick. And kind of like I talked about earlier with fading teams that might be in the, the spotlight for the first time and might be catching a lot of inflated lines. I'm looking at this LSU Ole Miss game, and I really do think this is a chance for Ole Miss, or rather LSU, to kind of pour it onto an Ole Miss squad that maybe feels a little bit inflated and a little bit fraudulent in terms of just a 15 and one glossy record because that jumps off the screen. That's really telling, especially when you look at some of these quality wins that they've been picking up recently. But LSU is starting to kind of play and and mesh accordingly. And Jalen Cook has been an absolute spark plug now that, you know, these guys have with waivers have been approved. And I do think LSU is going to slowly start to get better as the season goes on. And I think this is a prove it spot for that belief. So I like laying the one and a half, and I would lay some alternate lines here as well. You did mention the Ryzen League, so I do need to bring this up. Any <laughs> hope whatsoever for IUPUI catching 17 and a half <laughs> points to cover against Fort Wayne? Because if you're willing to take those points, you're bolder than I because I just cannot do it. 
Yes, IUPUI and Detroit Mercy, I am just very um, out on, unfortunately. That is, I've, I've lost some money back in those teams, and I've, I, and I refuse to do it again. <laughs> yeah, anyone who's been trying to bag those teams has lost a lot of money. That has been just a money pit, to say the least, but a man that is a bankroll builder is you, Rob. You do an absolutely tremendous job taking a look at this game that we all know and love of college basketball. On top of that, I know that you're doing great work on the football front as well, so let the good people at home know it's all on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Yeah, of course. And, and always thank you for having me on, Greg. Always appreciate it. It's always a blast getting to talk ball with you. And for those who want to follow my bets and just kind of follow in my, my day-to-day, best way to do so is just on Twitter or X at RobDFB. And you can also subscribe to my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Rob Donaldson. And definitely the best ways to kind of keep plugged in with everything that we're doing. And as always, Greg, really appreciate having me on. It is always great to get Rob aboard. He does such amazing work. Taking a look at this tremendous game of college basketball and every single time he joins this podcast, lends amazing insights. So big thanks to Rob for joining me on Coast Coast Soup. It's now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Wednesday as we hit some bank shots. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. 
And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back here, love you, Las Vegas. We're Coast to with myself, Greg Eves Peters, and now part of the Visa Family Podcast. It is always great to get Rob Donaldson aboard. He does great work with the show slash podcast, Rob's Best Bets. Every single time he joins this podcast, I feel like we get just a little bit smarter about this great game of college basketball. Does a great job over on his YouTube feed, youtube.com slash Rob Donaldson. Highly encourage you guys to check him out. Big thanks, Rob, for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Wednesday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter slash X feed at unit underscore 81. And we're going to be going in last exhortation order. This is where we go with the games with three digits on the rotation first, then the games with six digits. Those are the extra games. Those are going to be at the bottom end. Those just simply involve smaller conferences today. It's mostly the Big South and the Patriot League. If Chicago State were to be on there, they'd be at the bottom as well. But I do not believe that they've got a game today. But I do know that this is going to be leading things off. 667, 668 on the board. It is Furman, and they hit the road they're facing off against VMI. VMI is an underdog of 14.5 points. Total on this game is between 162 and 162.5. It's a VMI defense that is getting completely torched. We saw that against Samford when they allowed north of 130 points in that game. Sadly, they're actually a more efficient defense this year than they were a season ago. Now in very poor form since the beginning of the new year. Every single team that they have faced has scored at least 86 points. That is not too terrific. They're going up against a Furman team that they just seem out of sorts as well. This is a bunch that's been held below 70 in two out of their first four games in conference playing for Furman. Even though they play fast, it's not like they're necessarily an efficient offense. Part of the reason is that they, for one, lost a lot from the NCAA tournament team from a season ago. But two, they've also been dealing with the injury to Marcus Foster. Foster has been out since early December. Team's have score being able to log about 19.5 points per contest. That's been a big issue, and ever since he has been out of the fold, this has been an offense that has been going straight down the toilet bowl. In terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, about 106 in the country, and they do have their struggles on the road, scoring 13 points fewer 
in a road slash shoot court environment rather than at home. And for VMI, even though they play relatively fast, they're about 345th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. The north of 90 points that they got against Sanford was an aberration, in my opinion. They go up against a Furman team that's shooting 30.5% from three. So even though you do get possessions, and even though this VMI team comes in in terrible form with regards to their defense, I'm going to be taking a look at the under. I did set my total at a 161.5. For VMI, I do think that they're going to do an okay job of being able to hold in this game as they've got a little bit in terms of backcourt as you've been able to get right around about three assists, 15 points per game out of Brandon Watkins. On top of that, down low, you're able to get nearly 10.5 rebounds per game out of Tyshaw Jackson, who's got some versatility, shooting 36.5% from three par inch. And as a whole, it is a VMI team that does shoot 35% from three, where they really just destroy themselves as a turnover. 17 per contest. They are a bottom five team now of college basketball in terms of turnovers on a per possession basis. That's where Furman is much better. JP Peaks, he's able to give you about two turnovers to so about 5.3 assists per contest. Was dealing with a little bit of an injury, has been able to come back in the fold, and has been able to help out a Furman team that really doesn't have a lot down low themselves as right now their leader in rebounds is Tyrese Hugie. He's been able to give you about 5.1 rebounds per game so I do think that there's going to be plenty of second chances in this game because I just don't think that either of these teams are going to be doing a very good job of being able to hit the glass especially VMI because even though they've got a double-figure rebounder in Jackson in the fold in terms of overall rebound rate. This is a VMI team that's clocking in just 209th in all of college basketball for Furman. They have been doing a okay job on the glass, about 102nd, but they do give up a lot on the defensive side of things. Really, both of these teams do. I think that it's going to be a sloppy game involving a lot of turnovers as for Furman, they haven't gotten a lot of facilitation out of Carter Witt, who came over from Wake Forest. He's been able to supply the team with about 10 points, shoots only about 24% from three-par range. So I do think that even though these teams are doing a very poor job with their defense, I just don't think that the offense provides quite enough here for an over. And I do think that VMI going to give a better effort than they did in their previous affair. So my line at 13 and a half. So here at the 14 and a half, taking a look at the points with VMI. So my total 161 and a half. So also diving under 669, 670 on the betting board. Apple I should say plays also Georgia State, and Georgia State does find themselves as road underdogs of 9.5 points, 141 to 141.5 is your total, and did set my line at 10. I'm going to be willing to lay with Appalachian State. Don't want to go anything beyond the 9.5, but I'm willing to go to the 9.5. This Appalachian State team has really been batting down the hatches with regards to their defense. They played an overtime game against South Alabama, which things got out of sorts. So, if you look at regulation and regulation only, this is a squad that they come in having given up fewer than 70 points in each other last six games have not gone to overtime. Meanwhile, it's a Georgia State team that, to the credit of themselves, they've been able to bump up their offense. 77 plus points in four of their last five games. They've gotten to at least 73 points and now each of their last six games and it's a Georgia State team that all of a sudden has been quite efficient with their offense. Only about 10.3 turnovers per game. DeWan Odom has been able to give you about 12 points, five and a half boards, four and a half assists per game. Now, they aren't necessarily the world's greatest team on the glass, but they do have one guy in Jaden Turner down for what? He comes over from Queens NC. He's been able to do a good job of being able to fortify things down low with about nine rebounds per game. Now, their rebound rate in a roadside shoot court environment isn't quite what it is at home, but now they're a top 125 team in all of college basketball with this regard. I just think that they're going to meet their match against an Appalachian State team that has been able to do a really good job on the boards themselves. A top 105 team with regards to rebound rate with it all being headlined by Trayvon Spillers. 13 points, eight boards, guy that really makes his home down low with a block and a half per game, and 
He pairs well with Justin Abson, who's been able to do an absolutely incredible job with regards to his shot blocking, 2.7 blocks, 7.5 points, about 7 rebounds per game. It is an Appalachian State team that doesn't shoot it well from 3 par and They only shoot about 30.5% from 3 Patanovan. Gregory, great name, does it all. He's able to shoot about 38.5% from 3, 13 points, 4.5 boards, 3 assists, just an absolute sad sheet suffer for this team. And when it comes to this Georgia State team, certainly you do have some nice ancillary scores. Lucas Taylor has been able to lead the way with 14.5 points per game. Leslie and Kiriam has been able to come in. He's been able to give the team right around 8.5 points, 5.5 rebounds per game. But I do fear that Georgia State just not going to be able to do enough defensively in this spot as the offense, it has been able to bump up. They're outside the top 225 now in terms of points slot on a per-possession basis. And they have to go up against an Appalachian State team as going to be one of the toughest defenses that they face all season long. This Appalachian State team just getting after teams. Now 28th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And they do a really good job of cutting you off from the inside as well because this is a Georgia State team that they only shoot in that neighborhood about 32.5% from three-point range. And trying to score on Appalachian State down low, that is not an easy task. 18th in the country in terms of opponent's two-point shooting percentage. And I think that that is going to be the foil in this game. So I did set Appalachian State as a 10-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay up to 9.5 with them. And did set my total at a 140 with the way that Appalachian State has been able to play defense here at the 141. Looking at the under and one to lay with Appsate. 671, 672 on the betting board. Chad New gets the road face off against Mercer. And Mercer is a underdog of a point at home. Totals between 138 and 138 and a half. Set Chad is a two-point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay the point. This is a Chad squad that, as per usual, they are outside the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Shock, shock, surprise, surprise. But now with Trey Bonham back in the fold, it forms a nice one-two punch with Ian Hunter-Huff. Since these two guys have been back in the fold, they're averaging north of 34 points per contest with Bonham shooting north of 40% from three-point range out Chattanooga. They're going to allow their fair share of open looks from three-point range. Chattanooga, in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage, they're clocking in 265th in all of college basketball. But when they face off against a Mercer team that really can't shoot it from three-point range, that does get mitigated just a little bit. And Mercer, they themselves have been allowing quite a few open looks from three-point range, 274th in all of college basketball with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage for Mercer, Jalen McCreary has been able to do a tremendous job, giving this team quite a bit down low, 15 points, 5 boards. I do like his overall game, but I also do think that the double-double machine of Chattanooga is going to be able to take over this game as well as you've been able to get right around 10 rebounds, 15.5 points per game out of Sam Alexis. Really like what he's able to bring to the table going up against a Mercer team that, outside of McCreary, you've got a lot of guys that do contribute 4, 4.5 rebounds per game. They're not the worst team with regards to rebound rate, but they also should 64.5% of the free throw line. This team does a good job of not beating themselves with about 11.5 turnovers per game, and they do have a few guys that have been able to shoot at a little bit better from three-par range. Robbie Carbody, Jake Davis, both of these guys are shooting about 39.5% from three, both between 9 to 9.5 points per contest, but you've got a lot of it just feels like misfit parts outside of McCurry. You don't have a single guy that gives you north of 10 points per game, and this is a Chattanooga team that I really have been impressed by their offense ever since you have seen Trey Bottom get back in the fold. In terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, with them in the fold, they're averaging more than 5 points more than when he is off the floor. This is a top 125 team in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. Meanwhile, with Mercer also shooting 64.5% the free throw line, they're just 248th with regards to that offensive efficiency. I do think that Chattanooga going to be able to bat down the hatches just enough on this defensive side of things as well to be able to get it done. As it is a Chattanooga team that has now given up 70 points or fewer in each of their last three games. Meanwhile, you've got a Mercer bunch that they themselves have been giving it up a little bit more on defense. 74 plus points surrendered in two other first four games in conference play, so I do think that this total is set a little bit too low with the way that Chattanooga is able to go bombs away from three-point range with 
way that the ancillary scores have been able to kick things up. I did set my total at a 142, plus you could get some late game following. So the over and with Chattanooga, one to lay up to one and a half with them, set them as a two point favorite. 673, 674 on the betting board, it is UMass on the road facing off against Loyal Chicago. Loyal is a two to a three point favorite. Totals between 146 and 147.5. I think the wrong team is favored here. I'm going to be taking a look at UMass outright on the money line. I did set them as a one and a half point favorite. This UMass team does such a good job of being able to generate second chances. A top 40 team in the country with regards to percentage of missed shots that do result in an offensive rebound. Now, if you do have a little bit of a bugaboo with this UMass team, they don't shoot it well at the free throw line. That could come back to bite them. They shoot sub 70% at the free throw line, but they go up against a loyal Chicago team that, honestly, if you look at the raw metrics, they're a top 40 team with regards to rebound rate. They don't have a single guy in the roster, it gives you north of five rebounds per game. Meanwhile, for this UMass squad, they should be able to win that battle down low. You've got Matt Cross. You've also got Josh Cohen, who have been able to combine for 15 rebounds per game. And with Matt Cross, he's able to do a nice job shooting it from three. Josh Cohen has been able to shoot right in that neighborhood above 40% from three-point range as well. So these guys have been absolutely remarkable with that regard. You get Rasheel Diggins being able to give you double figures. And it's a loyal Chicago team that has had their turnover issues over the last few years. Now, credit where credit is due. They've been able to do a better job of being able to knock that number down a little bit, but it's still at 13 and after an over screen. Philip Olsen does give you 14 points per contest for a loyal Chicago team that legitimately is a top 40 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. They've been relatively solid on the defensive end recently, giving up fewer than 67 points in three out of their last five games, and I believe four out of their last six, but this is also a UMass team that they just find a way to be able to score at will. They had a little bit of a clunker in that game against Dayton. Sands that this is a UMass team that has gotten to at least seven points in every one of their games since that first game in December against South Florida where they won 66 of 56. And this is a UMass team that they themselves are a top 75 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis with them starting to get a little bit more three-point shooting out of the likes of Diggins with them being the team that does a much better job of taking care of the ball and myself thinking that they're going to be able to do a good job on the glass against a team that has Miles Rubin giving you four and a half rebounds per game and really nothing else. I do think that this UMass team gets the job done on the road. I did set my line at one half. I'm going to be one to take you UMass outright on the money line. I did set my total at 147.5. This is a loyal Chicago team that has been slowing down a little bit, but this UMass team has an uncanny ability of really being able to speed teams up, so I'm going to be taking a look at UMass outright on the money line, and anything below 147, I'm going to be taking a look at the over. 675, 676 on the betting board. Robert Morris is going to be playing us to Detroit, and Detroit does find themselves as a underdog of anywhere between 8 and a half to nine points here. Total on this game, it is 142 and a half. And I did set my line at 11. I am going to be willing to lay it with Robert Morris. This is a Detroit team that has some good news. We have not been able to see a whole like, lot of that this season, but they now have back in the fold their top scorer, Jaden Stone, who's been able to give you north of 17 points per game. Bad news is he's not shooting the way that he did from three-point range a season ago. Last season, this guy was shooting well north of 48% from three-point range. As a matter of fact, just about 50% from three-point range because he's had to take on more of a volume role that's down to about 34% from three, which feels like a lot better than the rest of his teammates. As, as a team, Detroit, they are shooting 25.7% from three-point range, and among players with north of 1.5 points per game, is the only one that shoots better than 30.7% from three-point range. It has been just absolutely ghastly 
for this team. You do have Marcus Tankersley. He's been able to give this Detroit team right around about 14 points per contest. He's been able to do a relatively solid job there, but aside from Eduardo Del Cadilla, he's been able to give you six rebounds per game. Other than Stone, there's nobody else on the roster that gives you north of 4.2 rebounds per game. It's a Detroit team that's in the bottom 50 nationally in terms of both points scored and points allowed on a per possession basis. And then for Robert Morris, you've got Marquise Hastings. He's been able to do a little bit of everything for this team, shooting 40% from three-point range, 14.5 points, eight boards. Now the big bugaboo for this Robert Morris team has been their turnovers. They have been turning the ball over right around about 14.5 times per contest. But you do have Josh Corbin. He's been able to shoot about 36.5% from the outside. You've been able to get some rebounding out of Stephon Walker as well. This is a Robert Morris team that's not necessarily going to be lighting the world on fire in terms of their rebound rate. But in this sort of a scenario, when going up against a Detroit team that legitimately is 330th in the country with regards to overall rebound rate, ranking about 185th, that should be able to play in this game. This is also a Robert Morris team that's only shooting about 33.5% from three-point range, but it's been ascending as the season has been going along. So I do think that there's a little bit of upside there. It is a Robert Morris team that certainly was slow getting out of the gates themselves, but the offense has been able to pick it up. At least 75 points so far their last five games are getting torched on defense. They've given up at least 75 in four other last five games as well, but this is a Detroit team that's just not right now showing a pulse. 61 points or fewer in four other last five games. I think that that is going to be a big giant issue for them, and I do think that this is our Robert Morris team that continues the demise of a Detroit team that, other than Jaden Stone, they don't have a lot going well for them. I did set my line at 11. I'm going to be willing to lay the number with Robert Morris, and when it comes to total, did set mine at a 137 just because Detroit, bottom 50 team in all of college basketball in terms of total possessions per game, we have seen them get held to below 60 points against the likes of value PUI. I just don't think they do their part with this total. So I'm going to under, and I'm going to be willing to lay the number with Robert Morris. 677, 678 on the bank board. Rutgers is going to be playing us in Nebraska. Nebraska does find themselves as underdogs of anywhere between 2 to 2.5 points. Total is anywhere between 139.5 and 141 and a half. When it comes to Nebraska, I did set them as an underdog of two and a half points. Here at the two, I'm going to be willing to lay the number with Rutgers. Rutgers is always such a different team at the rack. It's one of the best home court environments that you're going to find in all of college basketball. And for Rutgers, this has been a team that all season long has been able to do a relatively solid job on defense. On the road, slash in a neutral court environment, it's fine, but it really hits mock turbo when it's at home. How about giving up 27.1 points fewer per 100 possessions at home rather than in a road slash neutral court environment? If you combine their home numbers and their road numbers, it is a uh, Rutgers team that is in the top 10 nationally with regards to their rebound rate. A big reason why Cliff Amarui and what he's able to do. Cliff Amarui has been a nice eraser, being able to give this team right around about nine boards, three and a half plus blocks per contest with about 10 points per game. So that is absolutely massive for a Rutgers team that, well, they're really not winning the battle on the perimeter. Defensively, they're able to do a good job of being able to lock you down. Rutgers, they allow opponents to shoot 29.2% from three-point range at home, but they also shoot right in that neighborhood about 29.2% from three-point range. Muat Mog coming into the fold, shooting about 33% from the outside, 11.5 rebounds per game. That's been pretty solid for the team. And then you do have Andre Hyde, who's been able to give you 12 points, five and a half boards, shooting about 35.5% from three-point range. But it has been a Rutgers team that has not really gotten a lot out of the backcourt. So I do think that Nebraska is going to be able to do a better job than most of hanging in there at the rack. You've got Casey Shomanaga has been able to give you 14.5 points per contest. Now, he really doesn't do anything other than score. But boy, does he do a 
relatively solid job of being able to score, shooting about 36.5% from three-point range in Nebraska. In a road-slash-shoot-record environment, has been able to do a pretty supreme job with their defense. They are a team that lost opponents to shoot about 32.3% from three-point range, so they do a nice job of being able to guard the arc. Couple that with the fact that in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, if you just look at the road-slash-shoot-record environment numbers, this is a Nebraska team that does rank in the top 50 with that regard. So they've been able to do a relatively solid job holding up there now. Last few road trips, they have been a little bit less than savory for them when they go up against Wisconsin and they get just completely blowtorched. That's not necessarily the world's greatest look, but that said, you do have Rink Bass back in the fold. He's been able to do a nice job of just providing a lot of versatility at right around six foot ten. He's been able to give the team 13.5 points, 8.5 boards, 3 assists per contest. You've got Bryce Williams, who's been able to shoot about 35% from the outside as well, and then this is a Rutgers team that they've been just really having a tough time being able to put the ball in the basket. They have scored now 66 points or fewer into other last three games, and even take a look at Rutgers at home, and it does turn into a lot of games in which it's just a big, giant slog, as for Rutgers, when they have been on their home court, they have been held to below 70 points in now four out of their last five games. 71 points or fewer, I should say, in pretty much all but two of their games thus far this season. So I do think that this is going to be a low-scoring, grind-em-out sort of game. I did set Rutgers as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I do think that they persevere in the end, so I'm willing to lay the small number, but semi-total 136 half. I'm diving in on the under, and I'm willing to lay up to two with Rutgers. 679, 680. On the betting board, it is North Texas. They at the road, they're facing off against East Carolina. East Carolina does find themselves as underdogs of anywhere between four and a half to five points at home. So on this game is between 125 and 125 and a half and I do think that North Texas should be the favorite. I could only set this line at three though. So I'm going to be willing to take a look at the points. It is a North Texas team that once again is in the bottom 40 in all of college basketball in terms of total possessions per game. But once again, this team has really been able to do an amazing job locking teams down on the defensive side of things. But is also now going up against the East Carolina team that feels right at home playing a little bit of a slower, grimier game. As East Carolina, they rank well outside the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game. And East Carolina has a trio of guys, each other top three scorers, all giving at least five and a half rebounds per game. R.J. Felton has been able to do an absolutely tremendous job of something that's that cheap for this team. 16 and a half points, six and a half boards. He's able to shoot about 35% from three-point range, 14 plus points in four of the team's last five games. And has really cut down on the turnovers. He has four total turnovers in the team's last five games. And then you've got Emmanuel Asar, who's been able to give you about five and a half boards. He's shooting 57% from three. And Brandon Johnson, your main big man, nine boards, 14 and a half points, shooting 34% from three-point range. So I'm highly impressed with what they're able to do there. Now, you do see a little bit of a drop-off, and this is a little bit of a top-heavy team, but they're also going up against the North Texas team that... For their tempo, they actually turn the ball over quite a bit. 12.3 turnovers per game doesn't sound like a ton, but that is quite a few. But for this North Texas team, out of their top six scores, you do have five different guys shooting at least 38.4% from three-point range. You've been able to have Aaron Scott along Jason Edwards be able to combine for about 29 points per contest. So these guys have truly been able to light it up. And it's a North Texas team that, while they're not the most efficient offense in the world, when you consider their tempo, the fact that they've been able to get to at least 69 points and now everyone one out of their last five games really does say a little bit of something, and this is an East Carolina team that they themselves have been getting a little bit cash on defense. The squad has given up north of 75 points and now three out of their last five games. They have allowed out of their last seven opponents, five of them to get to at least 68, so I do think that this is going to be an interesting spot for them, but we have noticed that this East Carolina team, as the season has won along, they've been able to get better and better at being able to hold the opponents to one and done possessions. I do think that for this North Texas team, they've got a few holes 
totals as well. And this is a spot where I did set my total right here at a 125. I was seeing a few 124 and a half a little bit before. I'm seeing a straight 125 and a half. And personally, between a 124 and a half to a 125 and a half, I'd rather take the 124 and a half over just because I do think that there's a good chance that you're going to see some late game fouling in this one. And with East Carolina, with the way that they've been able to do a better job of being able to get some three-point shooting going, the way that they've been able to take care of the ball with more than 11 turnovers per game, Bobby Pettiford giving you three and a half assists to 1.1 turnovers per game as a top 200 transfer coming in from Kansas. I do think that East Carolina going to be able to hold in there on their home floor. So at a 124.5 or less, looking at the over, and I'm going to take the points with East Carolina to set them as a three-point underdog. 681-682 on the bang board. Youngstown State, it's a red face off against Oakland, and Oakland does find themselves as a favorite of anywhere between three to three and a half points in your total on this game. It is 151.5 to semi-line at three and a half. So need a three or less to be able to lay out with Oakland. This goes north of four. Going to be able to take the points with the Youngstown State. As I'm doing this, I'm mostly seeing three and a half. So personally, I am in the uh, wait and see mode on this one, but that's it. When it comes to the Youngstown State team, they have been able to do a better job on defense this year than they did a season ago. Not like this team is necessarily amazing, but in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, they're about 156 in all of college basketball. And they don't really see a big fall off in a roadside shoot court environment. They are a top 80 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis when they leave home. Going up against an Oakland team that they are once again in the bottom 75 nationally in terms of opponents' three point shooting percentage. And all of a sudden, an Oakland team that started out so good defensively to start out the season has gone straight down the toilet bowl. They are now 325th in all of college basketball. Turns the points allowed on a per possession basis, and they have just been getting gashed in their last few games as this squad has now given up 73 plus points in three of their last five games. They did get the job done last time these two teams played. You don't have to go back very far. It was an 88 to 81 road win for Oakland. Youngstown State controlled the first half, and then Oakland, they were able to come to the forefront in the second half because they shot 13 of 25 from three. Youngstown State won 12 of 28 from distance. I do think that we should see these three point numbers taper off a little bit. Fully recognize that this Oakland team is one of the worst at being able to guard the three-point arc in all of college basketball. But even for them, that's unsightly. Meanwhile, for Youngstown State, they are 299th in all of college basketball in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage as well. So I do think that we're going to see quite a few made threes in this one. I don't think we see it go north of 80, but I still feel like the correction on this game is too low. I did set my total at a 153.5. So here at the 151.5, I certainly am going to be taking a look at the over, by the way, for Youngstown State. They do allow opponents to shoot 40.9% from three-point range at home, but what Brett Thompson has been able to give the team recently has been quite solid. It was slow going, going out of the gates, but that said, now 16 plus points in four of the team's last five games. Has had eight turnovers in the last two contests, but now has given the team three plus assists in each of the last five games. He's really been able to take hold of this offense and allow Brandon Rush to play off the ball a little bit more efficiently, being able to give the team 13 points per contest. He's had 19 plus in two of the team's last four games. DJ turned it up. Burns is able to give you eight rebounds per game, but I do think that Trey Townsend is going to be able to do a good job of matching up here. He's been able to give this team 17 points, 7 at boards at six foot six. He's able to pop threes at a 41% clip. Last time these two teams played, he was able to put up a double-double, so I liked what I saw there. Blake Lantman was actually the guy that really came to the forefront for Oakland in the last game. Had 26 points, and he's not been able to give the team 13-plus points for the team's last five games. Overall, for the season, averaging about 12.5 points per contest. He's a 36% three-point shooter. I did think that you're going to see a good amount of offense in this one, even with Oakland playing a little bit more slowly. This team has been very consistent in terms of their offense. The last time Oakland was held below 70 points was their game just after Christmas against Cleveland State, and this has been a squad that has now given up 70-plus points in six out of their last seven games. Meanwhile, for Youngstown State, they have now gotten to at least 75 points in every one of their games ever since Christmas as well. As a matter of fact, last time Youngstown State was held below 75 points, you have to go back nine games ago 
ago where they scored 72 points and last time they were held below 70 points well that was game number two of the season against Michigan so this has been a young South State team that has been a rocket ship with their offense I did set Oakland as a three and a half point favorite I do think that they match up quite well with young South State side of three or less I'm going to be one late four more going to be taking a look at the points with young South State and here with the total going to be looking at the over 683 684 on the betting board Davidson it's for a face off against Fordham and Fordham does find themselves as a favorite of one point your total it is 141 to 141F. I did set my line at three. I'm going to be willing to lay this number with Fordham. This is a Fordham squad that has been touch and go with their defense, to say the least. I feel like they play a little bit too fast for their own good. Top 75 team in the country in terms of total possessions per game, but they haven't been able to do a solid job. Top 100 with regards to points a lot on a per possession basis, and they face off against a Davidson team that out of 362 D1 teams, they rank 362nd in terms of total possessions per game, but are 301st in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Now, they're giving up two and a half points fewer per 100 possessions when they're in a roadside shoot record environment rather than when they are at home, but, man, they are really having their issues defensively, but you do have a Davidson team that as well is able to bomb it from three-point range. They are shooting his collective about 33.5% from distance, but three of your top four scorers do shoot at least 36.7% from three-point range, with the lone exception being the ever-so-versatile Grant Hoffman, who's able to give you five boards, five assists, seal and a half, 12 and a half points per contest, while David Skogman he shoots 43.5% from three-point range at six foot ten. Kid from Waukesha, Wisconsin, has been absolutely tremendous. Bobby Durkin has come in as a freshman, been able to shoot about 38.5% from three-point range, but they do have to go up against a Fordham team that I think is going to be able to control the glass with Abdul Sambilia being able to give you seven and a half rebounds per game. Now, you can tell just what Radislav Norkovsky meant to this team. They just have not been able to do the same job down low this season as they did a season ago, but still, I do think that this is going to be a team that's going to be able to win the battle on the glass. It is a day Davidson team that in terms of rebound rate hovering right around about 170th in all of college basketball while Fordham they're clocking in more around 138th but with Fordham the big key for this team cutting down on the turnovers they've been turning the ball over about 14.3 times for contest with Yasaf Metter having to do just a lot of things by himself he's been able to give the team 13 and a half points shoots in the high 30s from three-point range, but they have to put the ball in the hands in his hands quite a bit. You've got Antrell Charlton, who's been able to help him out. Not really too much of a score. He only gives you about seven to eight points per game, but it gives you like four boards, three assists per contest, so that's been helpful. Good news for them is that they do go up against a Davidson team that's only about 173rd with regards to turnovers force on a per-possession basis. It's not like they're terrible at being able to force turnovers, but that's certainly far from something that is a forte of them. Meanwhile, this Fordham team, they do a good nice job of being able to rip the ball away. 41st in the country in terms of turnovers force on a per-possession basis. You've been able to get quite a bit more recently out of Mr. Richardson as well for this Fordham team with Will Richardson. He's been able to supply the team with 10 points, giving you a little bit over two assists per contest, still shooting just 25.5% from three. It was much better from three a season ago. And now you've got reinforcements on the way with Joshua Rivera returning over the weekend against St. Bonaventure. Played a limited amount of minutes, but he was out through the back half of December when things were really rough for this Fordham team without Rivera in the fold. You can tell that this team was just really not able to function the way that they typically do on defense. Without him in the fold, they gave up north of 78 points in every one of their games. With them back in the fold, they then give up 74 points. So I do think that we're going to see this Fordham team really be able to start batting down the hatches once again. And this is a Davidson team that, with regards to their defense, it certainly has been a little bit rough for them, giving up 72 plus points each out of their last three games. But this is a Fordham team that they themselves, not necessarily the world's greatest shooting team in the world. I do 
do think that you're just going to see a shortage of possessions in this one. I do think that in the end, you're going to see Fordham be able to get the job done from within. And I think that Rivera's return big for this Fordham team. So I did set this line at three. I'm going to be willing to lay the point with Fordham. It did set my total 141. So you're at a 141 half, diving in on the under to go along. Fordham, 685, 686 on the begging board. It is Wofford. They play us East Tennessee. East Tennessee is a three and a half to a four and a half point underdog. Your total on this game is between 148 and 148 and a half with East Tennessee State. So is just a three point underdog. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Wofford. The defense has been able to improve as the season went along through the first month, month and a half of the season. This was a bottom 10 defense in all of college basketball and it still has its issues overall for the season. 290th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis and very interestingly for Wofford, they are actually giving up six more points per 100 possessions at home rather than in a road slash shoot your environment. So that's been a little bit less than bueno, but you do have a East Tennessee squad that they are a inconsistent team with regards to their offense, but they are a team that has been able to give you some relatively good fight on the defensive side of things. About 180th in all of college basketball. Turns points a lot on a per possession basis, and for East Tennessee, I do think that they're going to be able to match up relatively well down low against Kyler Fiolwich, who's been one of the better rebounders out there in the SoCon, being able to supply the team with about 9.5 rebounds north of a block per contest, and that has been a big reason why this Wofford team has been able to improve a little bit more on defense. They're now a team that ranks 115th in all of college basketball with regards to rebound rate, but ETSU does have a bunch of guys that they do a relatively solid job on the glass, despite the fact that they're just 230th in all of college basketball. You do have Karen Boyd, who's able to give you 7.5 rebounds per game. Jalen Parker, who comes in from North Florida, is able to give the team 1.8 blocks, 6 rebounds per game, and then Jaden Seymour has all sorts of versatility. 6.5 boards, 15 points, shooting 36% from 3-par range for an ETSU team that they only shoot 29% from 3-par range. That's a little bit of an issue, but I do think that they should see a little bit of an upswing going up against Wofford team that has certainly given it up from 3-par range. For 319th at all of college basketball with regards to opponents' 3-point shooting percentage, and that's a big forte of ETSU. They're a team that allows opponents to shoot just 32.7% from 3-par range, both at home and on the road. It's a similar number, the exact same when they're at home versus on the road, so they've done a good job of being able to travel with that defense. You do have a Wofford team that in the back where you've got a pair of guys, Corey Tripp along with Dylan Bailey, who have been able to supply the team with about 29.5 points per contest. And as a collective, Wofford shoots 36% from three, but Here's a big reason why you should have trepidation with laying this number with Wofford. Shooting 62.3% at the free throw line. Bottom 20 mark in all of college basketball. That has to make you very nervous. And out of their top five scores, three of them shoot 67.1% or worse. Now, you do have someone that's shooting 100% in Chase Comier. So, I guess that's relatively solid as he's won 14 of 14 at the free throw line this far this season. But, man, for this Wofford team, they don't really get to the free throw line a ton. They do struggle when they are there. And E.B. Osamoa being able to chip in their 15 points for an ETSU team that they've been having their issues on defense. 69 plus points surrendered in each other last five games going up against a Wofford team that to their credit, it's not amazing defense, but 73 points are fear surrendered in four of their last five games, but I do think that ETSU can hold in there. I do think that this game is going to involve some scoring, but I do think that things are going to taper off a little bit. Wofford has been a bit better with their defense, so 7 total 143 diving under, and with ETSU won't take anything north of three with them. 687, 688 on the betting board. UConn is going to be playing us Creighton, and Creighton is an underdog of five and a half to six and a half points. So it was between 142 and a half and 144. And I did say UConn is a favorite of five points. So getting five and a half to six, I'm going to be willing to take the points with Creighton. It is a Creighton offense that certainly has been falling on some tough times. If you take a look at the overall efficiency of the team in terms of points scored on a per possession basis, it is still a Creighton team that ranks in the top 25 nationally. But if you just look at their overall outputs that they've been having, it's been a little bit more rough, failing to get to the 70 point plateau in four out of their last six games. Meanwhile, it's a UConn team 
team that they have been certainly having a few doldrums with regards to their defense without having in the fold Donovan Klingon 75 plus points rendered in two other last three games. Not really going to count the DePaul game because, well, when you go up against DePaul, you should dominate them with or without Donovan Klingon. But that said, for UConn, where their forte has actually been, it's been on the offensive side of things. For UConn, you've got Cam Spencer, Alex Caravan, Tristan Newton, all giving you between 14.8 and 15.6 points per contest, about 45 points between this trio with Newton, Spencer, and Caravan all being able to combine for as well about 14 to 15 rebounds per game. Newton is able to give you six assists. Spencer shoots 47% from three-point. This has been an absolutely tremendous trio, and now you're getting back in the fold Stefan Castle. Castle was missing throughout much of non-conference play as returned in conference play, and he's been able to give the team 12-plus points in each of the team's last four games, four-plus assists in out of the last four as well, so he's been able to help out the team offensively. It does feel like he's hurt the team a little bit, though, on the defensive side of things, and this is a Creighton team that, despite the fact that they are really efficient with regards to their offense, they are quite slow. They're outside the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game, but you've got a fearsome trio of their own. Trey Alexander, Ryan Kochbrenner, Baylor Shireman. These guys have been able to do a tremendous job being able to supply the team with 50 points per contest. They all give you at least six rebounds per game, and between Shireman and Alexander, about 8.4 assists to 4.7 turnovers per game. It is a squad that shoots about 36% from three-par range. What I do think is interesting about Creighton is their home and road splits, because this is a squad that when it comes to their defensive efficiency, the amount of points that they allow on a per-possession basis, they only see a drop-off of about 3.7 points when they are away from home, and this has been a UConn team that has been scuffling a little bit with regards to the defensive side of things. I do think that this is going to be a little bit more of a slowdown slog, as we've got a UConn team that's still outside the top 200 in terms of total possessions per game as well, and then when it comes to this great team, certainly they're not quite the same team offensively when they're away from home. They do drop off by about 12 points per 100 possessions, but this is a UConn squad that they are allowing some open looks from three-point range with UConn touring 29th in all of college basketball with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage, while Creighton, they're about 38th in the country. So I do think that Creighton is going to be able to hold in there, especially with this UConn team probably being a little bit hampered down low without having Donovan Kling in the fold. I do think that UConn's still able to get the job done, but that said, I'm going to be willing to take the points with this Creighton bunch. I do think that we went a little bit too high, and with regards to this total, semi total at 145, so going to be willing to take anything north of five with Creighton to go along with this total over 689, 690 on the betting board. It is Kentucky. They play out to Mississippi State. Mississippi State is an underdog of five and a half to six points, and Dodon's game is 156 to 156 half. Set Kentucky as a seven-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. With Tolu Smith back at the fold, that certainly does help out the offensive pop that you've got out of Mississippi State. He was able to average right around about 15 and a half points per contest a season ago, and this year, he's been having relatively similar numbers as well. It's a small sample size, so I want to see how he's able to really piggyback off of the first few games, but so far, so good out of him, and now for this team, you've also got Seth Hubbard, who's been able to do a nice job of being able to help out this offense. Last year, Mississippi State, dead last in the country in terms of three-point shooting percentage. They had nowhere to go but up from there, but I do think that when it comes to this Mississippi State squad, they are going to be able to do a relatively solid job down low with having Mr. Jimmy Bell Jr. giving you about six rebounds per game, Charles Matthews giving you about six half rebounds per game, and it is a squad that in terms of their overall rebound rate, they do rank in the top 20 in all of college basketball, but for Kentucky, their rebound rate is going up and up with every passing game as they are able to find out what they've all got in Mr. Aaron Bradshaw. He's someone that's seven foot one. He's able to pop threes. He gives you a block per contest. He's been able to do a tremendous job down low now. Was hampered in that game against Texas A&M. He was limited to six minutes. This was due to foul trouble. I did not see any sort of injury concern. I might be speaking out of turn here, but I thought it was only foul trouble as to why he was just off the floor for the entirety of that game, but I don't think that he should have similar foul trouble with this game now being 
in Rupp Arena. And for this Kentucky team, top five team in all of college basketball in terms of fewest turnovers on a per possession basis and shooting 39.8% from three-point range. I mean, this team is just an absolute inferno mode with regards to their offense. In terms of points scored on a per possession basis, this is a Kentucky team that ranks seventh in all of college basketball going up against a Mississippi State team that they rank in the top 15 nationally in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. So it is a good old situation of something's got to give. And this is a Mississippi State team that while they do such a tremendous job down low, they do a nice job of being able to guard the perimeter as well. Opponents are shooting 25.4% from three-point range against them. And I do think that you've sort of got two entities that are doing for a little bit of regression. Mississippi State is not going to continue to allow opponents to shoot 25.4% from three-point range in a road slash record environment. And Kentucky, I don't think, is going to continue to shoot 40% from three-point range. And Reed Shepard right now shooting 54% from three. I'm sorry, when the season ends, he's probably not going to be shooting north of 50% from distance. But what I think is a constant here for Kentucky, the fact that they aren't turning the ball over, the fact that they are playing very smart basketball with Antonio Reeves being a nice floor general, being able to give the team 15-plus points per contest. And for Mississippi State, they're 13 turnovers per game. I think it's going to be costly against a Kentucky team that, in their own right, may be able to do a good job of being able to really rip the ball away. And for this Kentucky team, they have just been a constant on offense all season long, getting to at least 73 points in every single game, 80-plus points in all but one of them. I do think that they could slow down a little bit here, which is why I did semi-total 153. I think it's easier to slow a team down than it is to speed one up. So looking at the under, but I do think that Kentucky, with their just overall consistency, gets a job done. Want to lay up to 6.5 with Kentucky and looking at the total under. 691-692 on the betting board. Rhode Island is the road to face off against St. Bonaventure and the Bonnies do find themselves as a favorite of 9.5 points. So it's between 143.5 and 144 with St. Bonaventure did set them as a favorite of 12 points. I'm going to be willing to lay this number. It is a Rhode Island team that has been doing a better job on offense recently, but this is still a defense that you really have to have your concerns with. In terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, Rhode Island currently clocking in 235th in all of college basketball, giving up in a road slash shoot record environment right around about 9.6 points more per 100 possessions. And this is the same pond adventure team that has been able to do a good job of getting up into opponents there. 111th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. They do a nice job, but be able to slow things down. They are outside the top 275 in terms of total possessions per game. Now for the Bonnies, it's been a little bit of tough sledding for this defense. They have now given up 78 plus points in two other last three games. This after they had began the season giving up fewer than 72 points in pretty much all but one of their games prior to this stretch. So 72 points or fewer in 11 out of their first 12. But for the Bonnies, you still do have a pretty solid offense that shoots 37.2% from three-point range. And among their top three players that have made at least one three because Chad Benning is their top scorer, 14 points, five boards, but has yet to make a three all season long. So among guys that made at least one three, all three of them shoot at least 44.6% from three-point range. And they get to go up against a Rhode Island team has been getting torched from three-point range, 235th in all of college basketball. With regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage, this ball seat pot adventure, they're clocking in more than the neighbor of 48th. With regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage, you've got Moses Flowers, Charles Pride, Micah Adams-Woods being able to combine between the three of them about 36 half points per contest. Pride has been able to give you seven boards, steal and half per contest. And it's a funny scene that plays relatively smart. Only about 11 half turnovers per game while Rhode Island, they turned the ball over 13 times per contest. Now the good news for Rhode Island, they have looked better ever since David Green has been in the fold. Since David Green has returned, they have given up at least 70 points in all four of their games with them, but they've gotten to at least 78 points in all four, knocking off UMass, Davidson on the road, St. Joe's and Northeastern. He has really been able to make a nice difference for this team, but I do think that the air is going to follow the balloon just a little bit. It is a Rhode Island team that also shoots 62.5% of the free line. They are now shooting 35.5% from three-point range, so a lot of credit where it is due on that front, but this has also been a Rhode Island team that 
we have noticed it. In three of those four games that they've been able to win with Green, they have been at home. And this is a team that they just play differently when they're on the road. They are averaging 15.7 points fewer in a roadside shoot court environment rather than when they are at home. This has been a team that has just been not having necessarily that one main floor general. Lewis Codright is able to give you about three assists per contest, but you've got Jaden Howe, Zeke Montgomery trying to give a little bit of facilitation as well. They've combined between the two of them right around 26 to 27 points per game. And for Rhode Island, right now you've got one guy on the roster that gives you north of five and a half rebounds per game in David Futures and St. Bonaventure should be able to win that battle down the line. Should be able to win this game by double figures. I think that St. Bonaventure is going to continue to be a relative constant with regards to their defense. So I did set my total at a 142. I'm looking at the under. And with the Bonnies, one to lay up to 11 half with them. 693, 694 on the betting board. LSU is going to be playing against Ole Miss. Ole Miss does find themselves as underdogs of two to two and a half points. So it's between 149 and 151 with Ole Miss. I did set them as the favorite of one and a half points. I'm going to be looking at them outright on the money line. This is an Ole Miss squad that has been just absolutely tremendous in terms of their three-point shooting percentage as a collective. They are shooting north of 38% from distance, and it's really just everyone as a collective being able to go bombs away from three-point range. Your top scorer is Matthew Morell, who's been able to give you 17.5 points, shooting 40.5% from three-point range, but each of the top six scorers on this team shoot at least 37% from three-point range. As a matter of fact, every player that is averaging more than one point per game has made at least one three is shooting at least 37% from distance. That's just absolutely insane. And then you're able to pair that up with Jamarian Sharp, giant of the earth at 7'5", who gives you four and a half boards, nearly three blocks per contest. Musa Cisse took him a little bit of time to get going, but now he's giving you a little bit of effort on glass as well. So it's an Ole Miss team that is actually a relatively league average team right in the 150 range with regards to rebound rate. I do expect that to go up as the season goes along and they go up against an LSU team that they themselves aren't necessarily doing a world's tremendous job on the glass. You've got Will Bakers able to give you about five boards per contest. So I will say, this is an LSU team that prior to Jarius Cook coming into the fold as Jarius Cook, he was playing over at Tulane the last few seasons, actually began his career at LSU. was one of those two-time transfers that was denied a waiver to begin in the season. Now he's got one, but Briar Dome being in the fold, he didn't have a single guy that was giving you north of 2.3 assists per contest. Ever since he has been in the fold, he's been able to give the team much more direction as now he's been able to come in, give the team three and a half assists, putting in there about 15 points per contest. I do like what I'm seeing out of him, and he's able to generate a few seals as well, but he really doesn't help out an LSU team as about 134th in the country with regards to their rebound rate, so I still do see some trepidation there, and I do see some issues. You've been able to have Jordan Wright be missed right about 15 points per contest, shooting 35% from three-point range, but it is an LSU team that they still do turn the ball over a little bit too much, and it's just a very inconsistent LSU team in terms of their offense. The defense has really been able to muster up some great efforts recently. They did give up the 93 points against Auburn, but prior to that, fewer than 70 points rendered in four of the last five games. Meanwhile, it is an Ole Miss team that they've been able to do a bit of a better job with regards to their offense as well. Typically, Chris Beard teams are known for their defense, but now they've been able to get to at least 89 points in three out of their last five games, so it has been really interesting to take a look at them, but I do think that Beard is going to be able to get his team playing a little bit more defense with Musa Cisse getting down just really the style of the team a little bit more. I do think that that's going to cause for a bit of a lower scoring slog, and I do like the way that LSU has been playing on defense at home, as they have been one of the teams with some of the biggest home and road splits defensively in all of college basketball, as they're giving up about 15.5 points fewer per runner possessions at home rather than on the road. So I did set my total at a 143.5 looking at the under, but I do think that Ole Miss, the better 
team here looking at them all right on the money line to go along with the under 695 696 on the betting board it is fort wayne playing us to iupui old uepu he's a 17 and a half point underdog total on this game is anywhere between 150 and a half and 151 half did something total 144 flat out i just don't think that iupui is able to do their part with this total this is a fort wayne team as awesome with their offense they are shooting north of 36 percent from three par range and this has always been a good three-point shooting team but now they're turning the ball over 9.9 times per game this is just absolutely incredible but for IPUI, other than Jalen Counter, you have no form of offense whatsoever. This team is well outside the top 325. Turns of points scored on a per possession basis. Counter, 14.5 points, 4.5 boards, 1.3 steals on 37% three-point shooting. And you're starting to get a little bit more out of Vincent Brady the second. Last year, shot 35% from three. This year, that's been down to 25.5% from distance. But he's been able to come alive recently. Double figures for the team's last five games. But still, it's an IPUI team that is outside the top 275. Turns of total possessions per game, turning the ball over about 15 times for contests. Uh, this is a spot in which I'm going to be taking a look at the under, but I felt like Fort Wayne should have been a 20-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it here. Now, credit where credit is due to IUPUI. Last road game, they were able to cover against Youngstown State. Yippee skippy, but man, when it comes to this IUPUI team, again, getting back to my point on the under, 66 points or fewer in each of their last four games, and this team has broken the 70-point plateau against Division One competition three times all season long. You do have Clancy Samuels is able to give you about five and a half rebounds per game, but they're a bottom 300 team with regards to rebound rate. They have no hope whatsoever of getting second chances. And for this Purdue Fort Wayne team, they're just a very efficient bunch that has a pair of guys that Jalen Jackson along with Quinton Morton Robinson were doing a nice job playing off the ball, combining for about 29 points, combining to shoot about 43% from three. And Rashid Bello, he comes in as a non-D1 transfer from UW Parkside, Wisconsin's lone Division II school, by the way. And he's been Mr. Do-It-All. 4.2 assists, 15 and a half points, 2.2 steals. He has been the missing link for this Fort Wayne team being so efficient on offense because they're always able to shoot threes. They just aren't always able to take care of the ball. They aren't able to be very efficient. Now they've been able to do all that and so much more. They don't necessarily have a turn down though. This is a team that gets a little bit land-based on the glass with Eric Mulder being their top rebounder with about seven rebounds per game, but they don't need to worry about that against IUPUI. It is a Fort Wayne team that they themselves have been having their issues on defense, giving up north of 80 points in each of their last three games, but prior to that little bit of a doldrum period. This has been a team that has actually been able to do a very solid job on defense. Prior to this run, they had given up fewer than 70 points in five out of their last six games. I do think they've been against IEPY. They will find their footing once again on defense, and this is just an IUPUI team that I can't trust to be able to do their part with regards to the total. I did set my line at 20. I'm going to be willing to lay the number of Fort Wayne in terms of the total. Set mine at a 144, so looking at the under, and I'm going to be willing to lay with Fort Wayne. 697, 698 on the betting board. It is the Citadel hitting the road face off against UNC Greensboro, and Greensboro does find themselves as favorites of 11 points. Your total on this game, it is 132.5 with Greensboro. I did set them as a favorite of 11.5 points, so here at the 11, it's the max I'm going to be willing to lay, but I'm going to be willing to lay it. It is a Greensboro team that has been dealing with quite a few injuries recently, but getting by Cal Brown Jones back in the fold, I think is absolutely massive for this team. He has been a do-it-all sad feet sufferer. He's been able to supply the team with 17 plus points per contest, ship it in their seven boards, shoots it at well north of 40% from three-par inch as well. While the offense has been able to ascend for Greensboro, I do have to say, it has been a declining defense. They are now outside the top 150 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Going up against a Citadel team that is one of your better mid-major rebounding teams in all of college 
fastball. And a big reason why has been the transfer of Vanderbilt big man Quentin Melora Brown. He's been able to do a nice job down low, give you about nine and a half boards, ten and a half points, tries to pop three, so doesn't shoot them very well, but is able to give you a block and a half per contest. It is a Citadel team that has actually been better on the road with their defense rather than at home, giving up 4.2 points fewer per one arm possessions, actually 4.7 points fewer per one arm possessions in a roadside shooter court environment rather than at home. And a big reason why is that they are 85th in the country in terms of overall rebound rate. Meanwhile, Greensboro, 237th in the country with this regard. But for the Citadel, I do think that they're going to have a tough time guarding the Langley brothers. As you've got Keyshawn Langley is your main scorer, 13 half points, three assists, shooting 36% for three par inch. And then Kobe Langley, about 10 points, six assists, two and a half seals for a Greensboro team that has been very efficient with the ball. Fewer than 11 turnovers per contest. They're now getting a little bit of a breath of fresh air down low. And Jalen Breath, who's been able to give you about five and a half rebounds per game, is supplied the team with six plus boards in far of the team's last five games. So I think that he's going to be able to match up down low. And he goes up against a Citadel team then does have a pair of good top-flight guards. You've got Elijah Morgan, Lance A.J. Smith, combining for about 31.9 points per contest. Morgan shoots 44.5% from the outside. Smith has been able to give you about 37.5% three-point shooting, and it is a Citadel team that has been really slowing down their tempo under Duggar Bauckham. This team just played run-it-and-gun-it style. We're going to allow you to score 75, but we're going to try to score 80, but Citadel, much more of a Wiley team now, and still a top-180 team in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, but I do think that they're going to beat their match against a Greensboro team that ever since you have seen Mikel Brown Jones back the fold, they've been able to do a better job with regards to their offense. They've now been able to get to at least 70 points in each other last four games and have given up 70 or fewer in three of the last four. I think that he's a big time difference maker going up against a Citadel defense that feels like they're starting to get figured out. Giving up 72 plus points each other last five games, 71 or fewer in all five of those games stands a game against a Division One opponent as well. So this is a spot where I did set Greensboro as an 11.5 point favorite. Want to lay up to 11 and just set my total at 139.5. I'm going to be looking at the over with the Citadel declining on defense and Brown Jones back to fold and willing to lay the number with Greensboro. 699-700 on the betting board. It is Miami playing us to Florida State. Florida State does find themselves as underdogs of between 6.5 and 7.5 points. Totals between 156.5 and 157.5 with Miami. I did make them an 8 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. Miami has been dealing with quite a few injuries recently. I know that Wuga Poplar was sort of in and out of the fold the last few games, but should be good to go in this one. Nigel Pack has been dealing with some nagging injuries as well, but most of these guys, they should be out there in the fold for a Miami team that they just play so differently with regards to their defense when they're at home rather than in a roadside shoot record environment. It's one of the biggest splits they're going to find at all of college basketball for Miami overall. They're giving up 23.3 points fewer per one earned possessions when they are at home rather than in a roadside shoot record environment. And this has been a top 75 team in terms of turnovers force on a per possession basis going up against a Florida State team that they are outside the top 100 in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis and it is a Florida State team that they do get a little bit loose with the ball a little bit over 12 turnovers per game now I will say this about Florida State they are really bumping up their tempo this has been one of the fastest teams in all of college basketball this year currently clocking in in the top 75 in terms of total possessions per game and I do think that they're going to be continuing to look to bump up the tempo and this is a Miami team that they themselves are really not slowing down for anyone as well 50 fourth in the country in terms of total possessions per game. And the big bugaboo for Florida State is that they just have not been able to guard the three-pointer going up against a Miami team that does rank in the top 20 nationally with regards to their overall three-point shooting percent. Florida State, as a matter of fact, to our 19th in all of college basketball in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. And to the credit of Miami, they're 23rd in the country. I think that there's going to be some decline with that. And this is a Florida State team that they really don't live and die by the three ball. You do have Darren Green, who's been able to do a tremendous job, giving this team about 12.5 points, shooting 40% 
from three-part range. Primo Spears is a volume scorer. Last year, when he was over at Georgetown, he was a team's top scorer, being able to supply the team with 16 points per contest, but has never been a good three-point shooter to start with. So I do think that this Florida State team is going to look to knife the ball down low. Problem for them is that they're going to have to go up against O'Chad Omir, who's giving you 17.5 points, 9.5 rebounds per game. And then for Miami, you've got everyone just bombing it away from three-point range out of your top six scores. You've got all but one of them shooting at least 36.8% from three, with the lone exception being O'Chad Omir, who still shoots 32% from three-point range. It's Miami team that does turn the ball over about 12.8 times per contest. And Florida State, they do generate about nine seals per contest. They're able to turn some defense into offense. And to the credit of Florida State, this has been an offense that has been looking much better recently as well. They've been able to get to at least 75 points in four of their last five games. And it's a Miami team that they themselves have certainly been getting gashed on defense, giving up at least 80 points in three out of their last four games. But this has been a Miami team that has been a massive constant with their offense all season long. This team has gotten to at least 75 points in all but two out of their last eight games. I think that you're looking at a high-scoring expose and with Florida State's inability to be able to guard the three, that's going to allow Miami to be able to get the job done and along with that having no Chad Omir to be able to win the battle down low. So I did set Miami as an eight-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number and in terms of this total, I did set mine at a 160. So also looking at the over. 7-1, on the betting board saying out there in the ACC, it's Virginia playing us at Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech is an underdog of three points with your total at 123.5 to 124.5. I'm seeing some straight three and a halfs out there as well and that's important because I did set my number at a three. At a three and a half, that is my buy point on Virginia Tech. This Virginia Tech team has been able to do a relatively solid job down low with Lynn Kidd being able to re- lead the way. You were wondering what they were going to do without Justin Mutz, who was so versatile, and he's been able to do a nice job filling that void. 15.7 boards, not quite the facilitator and everything like that that Mutz was, but for Virginia Tech, after they were really lacking to begin the season in terms of their overall offensive efficiency, it's really come along for the ride for them. You've got Sean Padula giving you four boards, four assists, 16 points per contest, shooting 39% from three-point range. Big key here for Virginia Tech is going to be taking care of the ball. You've got a Virginia team that, in terms of turnover sports on a per-possession basis, is a top-20 team in all of college basketball, but Virginia Tech, unlike the past years, they've been a much better rebounding team. They're 63rd in all of college basketball with regards to rebound rate. Virginia is 261st in the country with this regard, and this is a Virginia team that right now has one guy on the roster that gives you north of 3.6 rebounds per game. Ryan Dunn, who's able to get her done, 9.8 points, 6.6 boards. He, along with Reese Beekman, have both been able to give you north of two seals per contest, so that has been pretty tremendous, but we also got a Virginia team that has some pretty massive splits of their own in terms of their three-point shooting. It's overall for the season, they do shoot 35.8% from three-point range, but you'll notice they shoot north of 40% from three-point range at home in a road slash shoot court environment. This falls below 32%. I don't think it's necessary because of the home court environment, which, by the way, it is very tremendous. Virginia has a great home crowd out there in Charlottesville. That said, you look at who they played out of conference at home, and they played absolutely nobody. And their first ACC conference play to begin the new year was against Louisville. So that is a big reason why Virginia has these massive splits. And I do think that Virginia Tech is going to be able to go in there, and they're going to be able to give them a nice fight. You saw if Hunter Couture is able to give you 13 half points, shooting about 41% from three-point range. Also, in a nip-and-duck game for Virginia, they're shooting below 67% at the free throw line. That has to have you very concerned with a Virginia team that 
Once again, big time home and road splits with regards to their defense, giving up more than 20 points fewer per 100 possessions at home rather than on a road slash shoot to environment for Virginia. They lost 39% three point shooting in a road slash shoot to current environment compared to 24% at home. I do think that at the end of the season, there's going to be a nice home and road split, but still, again, I think that this is due to the lack of competition that they played at home. I do think that Virginia Tech is going to be able to hold in there. Semi line at three, so being able to get three and a half, I'm going to be willing to take a look at the points. I think that this Virginia defense has been really hopped up on the fact that they played some really bad teams, and I really like what I'm seeing out of this Virginia Tech offense, the way that they've been able to execute as now they've gotten to at least 70 points in four of their last five games, and you've got a Virginia team that they themselves have given up at least 66 points in three of their four games beginning ACC play. So, semi-total 127 looking at the over, and we'll take north of three here with Virginia Tech. 7-3, to 7-4 on the betting board. Southern Miss is going to be playing against Arkansas State. Arkansas State between a pick to a one-point favorite, and your total on this game is any between 150 and 150 and a half, and I did semi-total 149 and a half. Anything of 150 or greater, going to be taking a look at the under end with Southern Miss. I did make them a one-half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the very small number here with the Southern Miss team. They're most likely going to be without Andre Cabello. Once again, Cabello is currently dealing with a back issue, but for Southern Miss, you still do have out there Austin Crowley, and I love what he's able to bring to the table with about 15 and a half points per contest. He's been able to chip in there three assists. It is a Southern Miss team that's only shooting about 31.5% from the outside, but I think it's going to be very important in this game is going to be the rebounding as you've got an Arkansas State team that they've been able to do an okay job with regards to their overall rebound rate. They're about 140th in all of college basketball. This has been a bit of a concern for Southern Miss. They're about 258th in all of college basketball, but they do have a nice eraser down low that's able to give you about 1.7 blocks, 4.5 boards, and Victor Iwakar, who has come in from UNLV, and it's been a little bit hit or miss for him, but he's really rounding in form right now. He has been able to give the team 12 blocks over the last four games, so he's been able to do a much better job defensively, and for Southern Miss, they take a big drop-off when Andre Carbello's not out there in the fold with regards to their offense. The defense has honestly been quite a bit better when he's been off the floor as well. In all but one game which Andre Carbello was able to play start to finish, they gave up well north of 70 points in those, so it's been very interesting to take a look at that, to say the least. I did have to shade down my total with the Carbello injury. Meanwhile, you've got an Arkansas State team that they're giving up points at a very rapid rate. They have been giving up at least 75 points in every one of their last five games, and they have given up at least 74 points in each other last six games. It is an Arkansas State team that they shoot a relatively solid from three-point range, about 35% from the outside. DeAndre Dominguez, Caleb Fields, they've been able to combine for about 26 points per contest, but you do have out of your top four scores, only one guy shooting about 31% from three-point range in Dominguez. You've got Caleb Fields giving you five assists per contest for a team that they turn the ball for 12 and a half times per contest. That's not amazing. That's not terrible, and this is a Southern Miss team that over the last few seasons, really the lifeblood for them has been being able to generate turnovers. Last year, this was a team that was one of the best in all of college basketball in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis, and while they've taken a little bit of a drop-off this season, they are still a top 100 team with this regard, really being able to ascend with regards to their home environment, and this is an Arkansas State team that they just don't do as great of a job with this regard at 347th in all of college basketball. That do result in some clean possessions for a Southern Miss team that it's going to be looking to slow things down without Andre Carbello, which is why I did something total 149 and a half. I'm looking at the under. I do think that as a result, Southern Miss gets the job done. Set them as a one and a half point favorite, so taking Southern Miss as a pick slash a very, very small underdog to go along with the under. 7 to 5, 7 to 6 on the bank board. Valparaiso hits a road face off against Evansville. Evansville, a five and a half point favorite with your total 141. 
I did make Evansville a nine-point favorite, so I'm going to be willing to lay the number. This Valparaiso team has looked a little bit better recently, and they have been able to find a go-to score. And Isaiah Stafford has been able to give the team 15-plus points per contest. Outside of Stafford, you're just not getting a lot out of this team, and this is a Valparaiso squad that just continues to get torched on defense. They are ranking outside the top 200 in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, and interestingly for Valparaiso, they're actually giving up 1.6 points fewer per 100 possessions in a roadside shooter court environment, rather than when they are at home, but for Evansville, I do think that they're going to be able to do a solid job down low with the assigned to me, being able to give you about six or so rebounds per game. Kenny Strawbridge is not a guy that really pops threes, but he's able to give you double figures. He's able to give you four boards, just makes winning plays for this team, really enhances the team on defense as well, and it's a team that gets to go up against a Valparaiso squad that's 307th in the country in terms of overall rebound rate. Evansville, one of their main kryptonites is the fact that they don't have a ton of size down low, but that's going to be mass in this spot. And then on top of that, you've been able to get absolutely tremendous scoring out of Ben Humer Riches. He has been one of the more unsung heroes in all of college basketball this season. When he's been out there, he's been able to do a tremendous job, be able to give the team 16 and a half points per contest, but has been missing ever since really the back half of December, really since Christmas time without him in the fold, though, this team has still been able to maintain. You've had Cameron Huffner be able to shoot north of 40% from three points, being able to give you about nine and a half points per contest. Now, where it's really showed up is on the defensive side of things. Without Ema Riches in the fold each of the last five games, for Evansville, they have given up at least 74 points in every one of them. But also keep in mind the competition being played. Missouri State, Murray State, Bradley... Indiana State and Cincinnati. Meanwhile, you've got a Valparaiso team that's lost four out of their last five games against much lesser competition, and they've given up 70-plus points in four of their last five games while not being able to get past the 68-point plateau in each of their last four games. So it is a good old situation of something's got to give. It is an Evansville team that's a little bit diminished with regards to their offense as a result. So this is a spot where I'm going to be setting my total more around a 144. Seeing what we're seeing right now with a 141, 141F, if we could get north of a 144, 41. Going to be taking a look at the under as I do think that there's a good chance that this game is going to be close enough for some late game felling and I do think that the understudies of Evansville are going to be able to do just enough to be able to keep this Evansville team lively and be able to get up off the mat after having to play a really rough, shall we say, stretch without humor riches to start out with. So, did something I told 141 at a 140 and a half or less, looking over 141 and a half or higher, looking at the under. And when it comes to this Evansville team, set them as a nine point favorite, so want to lay the five and a half with them. 707, 708 on the betting board, it is Bradley in the road face off against Southern Illinois. Southern Illinois does find themselves as a 1.0 underdog, seeing a one and a half out there as well. Totals between 134 and a half and 135. And I did set Southern Illinois as a three point favorite. I'm going to be taking a look at them outright on the money line. Now, for Bradley, after they had just a rough start to the season. This team is now rolling six straight wins and in this six game win streak for Bradley they have given up fewer than 65 points in every single one of these games. As a matter of fact for Bradley they have allowed north of 70 points just once in their last eight games. So this team has really been able to rise up on defense but you've got a Southern Illinois team that they are very comfortable playing defense oriented slogs of games as Southern Illinois in the bottom 50 in terms of total possessions per game. Southern Illinois in their own right top 90 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis and they do get a nice bump at home giving up 12.9 points fewer per one hundred possessions at home rather than in a road slash shooter corner environment and they've got one of the best scorers that you're going to find in all of college basketball and that would be Xavier Johnson. Xavier Johnson has been able to do tremendous work with 24 points, 6 assists, shooting 43.5% from 3 point range. Has been absolutely on fire all season long and now he's getting a little bit more help from his friends as well as you've got Clarence Rupert down low who's been the team's 
main form of rebounding. He's able to give you about six boards, a block per contest. I do like what I'm seeing out of him. This is not a Southern Illinois team as necessarily going to be amazing with regards to a rebound rate, but this is a Bradley team that they themselves only about 133rd in the country with regards to rebound rates. So that matches the fact that Southern Illinois is right around about 190th with this regard. And now you've got back the full Jarrett Hensley, a two-time transfer that began his career at UNC Greensboro, Cincinnati. He's been able to give this team a little bit of pop over the last few games as he's been able to shoot north of 50% from three-point range with seven points per contest. Do see that falling off a little bit, but for Southern Illinois, it's collective. They do shoot 38.5% from three, 75.5% free line with only 10.5 turnovers per game. They play very smart basketball while this Bradley team, nearly 13 turnovers per contest, shoot just 67% of the charity stripe now. They do shoot as well, about 36.2% from three-point range, so they've been rock solid with that regard. They were dealing with a little bit of injury towards the middle part of the season with Colin Hickman missing four games, but for Connor Hickman, he's been able to come back to the fold, giving the team 15 points per contest and the versatility of Malevi Leons. Someone who's six foot nine is able to pop threes, doesn't necessarily shoot them well at 29%, but say about pop threes, that is going to be difficult for Southern Illinois to be able to match up with, but this is a Bradley team that they do see a little bit of a drop-off with their offense when they're away from home. They shoot about 38.5% for three-point range at home, closer to 35% on the road, and then just in terms of the points scored on a per-possession basis, that does fall by about 8.6 when they're away from home. I do think that Southern Illinois is going to be able to Xavier Johnson be the best player in this game. I do think that they play just well enough on the glass to be able to win that battle as well, and it's a Southern Illinois team that stands that game against Drake. They come in in very good defensive form as well. This has been a squad that has now given up 70 points or fewer in all but one of their games since the beginning of the month of December. So I do think that you're going to get a low-scoring affair despite the fact that Bradley comes in hot with their offense, 77 plus points at each other last four games. It did semi-total 131, looking under, and going to be taking Southern Illinois outright on the money line, made them a three-point favorite. 709, 710 on the betting board. It is UAB playing out to Tulane. Tulane does find themselves in a pick'em game slash as a one-point favorite. Totals between 164 and a half and 166. I did semi-total at 166, so seeing mostly 165 or so, I'm going to be taking a look at the over. This has been a two-lane squad that has been absolutely running it and gunning it this season. A top 15 team in terms of total possessions per game, and they face off with a UAB squad that they themselves have all of a sudden been able to get really hot with regards to their offense. For UAB, they've been able to get to at least 73 points in every one of their games, sans really that Arkansas State game in early December in each out of the last eight. So this has been a nice rise up for a UAB team that they're still struggling from three-point range, only shooting about 39% from three-point range. I think that there's going to be continued positivity coming through for this UAB squad. And for UAB, they've been able to do a tremendous job being able to utilize second chances to be able to get points up on the board in terms of offensive rebound rate, a top 50 team in all of college basketball with a pair of guys, Yaxel Lenborg along Javion Davis combined for 16 rebounds, 22.5 points per game. Eric Gaines continuing to only shoot about 21.5% from three-point range, but has up the stat sheet for UAB. 12.5 points, 4.7 assists, 2.5 seals per contest, and this is a Tulane team that they can be hurt very much from the outside. For Tulane, in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage, they're clocking in right about 252nd in all of college basketball with opponents shooting 38.7% from three-point range in a roadside shoot-to-court environment, and for Tulane, is dealing with a little bit of a lack of depth as well, with Trey Williams being out of the fold. That has been hurting this team quite a bit now. If For this Tulane squad, they still have plenty of scores in the 
they've got plenty of versatility. Kevin Cross has been incredible. 16 plus points, 6 plus boards. He stands right around about six foot eight. He's able to generate nearly 2 steals, give out 4.5 assists per contest. That has been amazing. And then for Jalen Forbes, he had a little bit of a rough start to the season, but now he's really been able to heat up. He's been able to give the team 20 plus points in 3 of the team's highest 5 games overall for the season. 15.5 points, 1.7 steals on about 36%, 3-point shooting. And all in all, this is a two-lane team that they do shoot about 35.5% from 3-point range, but do like the current form that I'm seeing out of UAB. Took them a little bit of time to get going because they did lose four of their top five scores from a season ago, and this is certainly a UAB team that is lacking quite a bit on defense. This is a UAB team as well outside the top 150 in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. Not like this Tulane team is necessarily doing an amazing job on defense themselves, 182nd in the country, and they are allowing about 12.9 points more per 100 possessions in a roadside shoot court environment rather than at home as well. So I do think that you get a high-scoring affair, and I do think that UAB going to hold up on their home floor. Set UAB is a two-point favorite, so taking them on the Spickham line and anything below 166 is going to be looking at the over. Now we have my DK Network right to pick. 7-11, 7-12 on the betting board. It is Tulsa, and they're going to be playing us to UTSA. Meet me for the Roadrunners of UTSA, who are 7.5 to 8-point underdogs. Dallas game is anywhere between 153.5 and 154. Did semi-total at a 160. We're going to be taking a look at another over in this spot, as I did set this total at a 160, and with Tulsa, I did set them as an 8-point favorite, so 7.5 is a max I'm going to be willing to lay, but I am going to be willing to lay that number as well. When it comes to the Tulsa team, they are playing super-duper up-tempo along with the UTSA. Both of these teams, as a matter of fact, top 40 in all of college basketball. When it comes to total possessions per game, you've got a Tulsa squad that, while their defensive metrics, if you look at them, they're great. They're a top 50 team in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. They've been able to do a great job in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis overall for the season at 36th, but for Tulsa, it's been a rubber-meets-the-road situation as they were really able to beat up on lesser competition to begin the season. Now they've given up 78-plus points in three out of the first four conference games, and with Tulsa, they played against one of the weakest non-conference slates really in all of college basketball, so I do think that that is really creeping up, and that is rearing its ugly head against them. Now they have to go up against a UTSA team that has been able to do a relatively solid job in terms of their offense, especially away from home. They're averaging 3.3 points more per 100 possessions in a roadside shoot court environment rather than at home. They are 68th in the country with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis, one away from home, and for a team that's in the top 30 in terms of total possessions per game, 12 turnovers per contest is not bad. This team has also gotten a nice boost with regards to their offense from Jordan and Ivy Curry. Ivy Curry was with the program two seasons ago. Last year had an unsuccessful year over at Pacific. He has decided to return and he has been able to supply the team with 15 plus points in each of the team's last five games. Four plus assists in four of the team's last five. He had a tough first two games with the team, but in the team's last five games, the team has been able to get to at least now 75 points in four out of these five games and have given up at least 75 points and I believe all but one of them as well. So that has been a little bit of an issue for the team, but this is also a Tulsa team that they've got a lot of capable scorers as well going up against a UTSA team that is very willing to give up a lot of wide open looks. UTSA 276th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, allowing 11.9 points more per one hour possessions in a roadside shoot to court environment. Opponents are shooting well north of 34% from three-point range against them. Now for Tulsa, they have been turning the ball over about 14 times for contest. They're outside top 275 in terms of turnovers on a per possession basis. But for UTSA, they're outside the top 300 in terms of turnovers for us on a per possession basis. So Tulsa should be able to get a lot more clean opportunities in this game. You've got Kobe Williams giving you 13 points, three and a half assists. He and PJ Hegarty actually combined for about 4.3 steals per contest. This is a Tulsa team that as a whole, they're shooting about 33% from three-point range, but 
been able to get a little bit more out of Israel Barnes, who's been able to give you about 34% three-point shooting, nine points, four boards out of Mr. Barnes. So he's been able to do a relatively solid job there. And for UTSA, I do think that they've got enough scoring to be able to stay relatively lively with Trey Edmonds being able to give about six rebounds per game. But I do think that there's going to be a lot of second chances as well. Tulsa, 282nd in the nation in terms of home defensive rebound rate, allowing opponents to grab a rebound on 29.2% of their misses. So points, I think, are going to be plentiful. I do think that for UTSA, they just give up too many open looks in this spot, and Tulsa is going to be able to prevail, so willing to lay up to 7.5 there. But my DK now we're right to pick. That is going to be on this total over. Set my total at a 160. 7.13, 7.14 on the betting board. Louisiana, it's road face off against Texas State. Texas State just find themselves as a favorite of a point. Total on this game is 138. I'm with Texas State. I did set them as a 2.5 point underdog. I'm going to be looking at Louisiana outright on the money line with this Louisiana Ration Cajun squad. They certainly have a lot of three-point shooting that I think is going to be able to just remain constant in this game for George Charles. He's going to need to dominate down low. He's been able to give this team nine boards, seven and a half points per game for the Louisiana team that he is the only guy that gives you north of five rebounds per game. And they go up against a Texas A team that they really don't have much other than their rebounding. And for even for the rebounding, they were relying upon Tyrell Morgan coming into the season to be their main guy. He got injured. So, I mean, this team is about 149th of the country. Texas A is with regards to the rebound rate. Should probably be a little bit higher. Meanwhile, you've got a Louisiana team that's hovering right around about 297th, but they make up for it with the fact that they shoot 36.7% from three-point range with Kobe Julian being able to give you 17 half points, shooting 38% from the outside. It's a Louisiana team that's relatively mid-tempo, and the way that they've been able to offset a lot of their woes in terms of the boards is by being able to generate turnovers. This team has been able to do a great job of being able to generate live ball turnovers. About 8.7 seals per contest out of them for Louisiana in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis. A team that clocks in number 30 in all of college basketball, and you've got Kentrell Garnett shooting north of 40% from three-point range for a third consecutive year, while the team is also a top 15 team in all of college basketball with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage. So, they've been able to do a good job hunkering down there. You've also got the best facilitator in this game, and Thamus Folks, who's able to give you four and a half assists to about 2.3 turnover screen. He doesn't necessarily shoot it well from three-point range, but everyone else around him does, and for this Texas State team, they do get a little bit of a boost from the Army transfer and Colton Benson, who's been back for seven games, has been able to give the team 11 points, and is currently shooting north of 50% from three-point range. Big for a team that they shoot 33.1% from three, 65.8% at the free line, but still a relatively slow tempo team with about 13.3 turnovers per game. And Josh O'Garrow, talk about a disappointment. Six points, five rebounds per game for a guy that came in from San Jose State. I think they started out in the Pac-12 or Big 12 as well and just hasn't necessarily been able to give this team a lot of anything as well. Sort of one of those holes grabbing them some of its parts. Teams that just really doesn't have an identity. You've been able to get about four assists, 13 points per contest out of Jordan Mason. But that said, I do think that this Louisiana team, they get the job done against a Texas A team that's going to be looking to play quite a bit more slowly. And I do think that this is going to be a bit of a slog of a game. But I do think that Louisiana, with their overall shot making, it does win out. And this is a Texas State squad that themselves have given up north of 70 points and now four out of their last five games. While Louisiana, they've been able to get to at least 73 points in each other last three. So, did somebody tell 140 and a half looking outright on the money line at Louisiana to go along with the over 715, 716 on the bank board? Murray State, it's a red face off against Illinois Chicago. UIC is anywhere between a pick-up to a one-point underdog. Your total on this game is between 138.5 and 139. 
I did make Murray State the two and a half point underdog in this spot, so I'm going to be taking a look at UIC as a pick 'em slash a very, very small money line underdog. It's a UIC squad that has seen their defense start to regress a little bit. They were just doing an absolutely amazing job to begin the season in terms of opponent's three point shooting percentage. That said, this has still been a team that has been very much consistent with regards to their defense, and they're still doing a good job of not allowing teams open looks. As UIC, 57th in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Very interestingly, they're giving up seven more points per 100 possessions at home rather than in a roadside church court environment, and they go up against the Murray State team that is right now 217th in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, and they are giving up 4.2 points fewer per 100 possessions in a roadside church court environment rather than at home. But for UIC, I think that the guy that's going to be unguardable for them is going to be Isaiah Rivera, who's been able to lead the way with 14.5 points on 39.5% three-point shooting now. For UIC, if you do have a little bit of trepidation, they do shoot just 65% at the free throw line, but that said, they do a very solid job making 36% of their threes. You've got Toby O'Connor who's been able to give you 7.5 boards, 11.5 points per game, and other than Nick Ellingson for this Murray State team, who was able to give you about 6.5 rebounds per game, you just don't have a ton down low, and I do think that that's going to be a big issue for them. To be able to hurt this UIC team, you have to do a relatively solid job of being able to hit the glass as for UIC in terms of their rebound rate, they're just 220th in all of college basketball. Meanwhile, this Murray State team, they're clocking in 215th. So I do think that that's going to be a little bit of an issue. You've got Jacoby Wood along with Rob Perry in the backcourt. A pair of guys that are able to give you double figures for this Murray State team between the two of them. They've been able to log about 27 points per game. And Wood shoots 42.5% from three-point. Should credit where credit is due for Murray State. Now they turn the ball over 9.2 times for contest. They really don't force the issue on defense, though. They really don't generate a lot of turnovers as well. And with UIC being able to have quite a few guys like Philip Sobotsky, who's able to give you about four boards per contest with having a nice point guard at CJ Jones, whose assist to turnover ratio is north of one and a half, 4.6 assists to right around about 2.8 turnovers per game. You'd like to see that be a little bit lower, but he does a good job being able to dole the ball out. I do think that UIC can have just enough to be able to get it done. We have seen this UIC team regress a little bit with regards to their offense. 70 points or fewer in far of their last five games, but this is also a Murray State team that you do have to give them credit. Offense has been relatively constant, but they were held to 60 points in the last game. They seem to be slowing things down well outside the top 275 in terms of total possessions per game. So this is a spot where I did set my total at a 139.5. I think that you get just enough scoring to go over as we have seen that regression with this UIC team. And I do think that this is going to be a nip and tuck game that could lead to some late game falling to be a help out with the over as well. But I do think that with the UIC really being uninterrupted down low, that's going to allow them to win this game. I do like UIC. As a pick em, a one-point favorite, one-point underdog, what have you, I do think that UIC, as long as they are laying less than two, is a good play. So I'm going to be looking at UIC. Semi-tall at 139 and a half, so at 139 or less. Also looking over against the Murray State team outside the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. 717, 718 on the betting board. Illinois State is going to be playing us to Drake. Drake finds themselves as eight-point road favorites. Total on this game is 139, and I did set this line at 7.5, so 8 is my buy point on Illinois State. It is an Illinois State team that's been falling on some relatively tough times, and this is a Drake team that's been just so well-rounded this season, both on offense and on defense. This is a team that, in terms of both points scored and points allowed on a per-possession basis, they're a top 80 team in all of college basketball. This is a offense that they really don't suffer too much of a fall off away from home. They're only scoring 3.9 points fewer per 100 possessions in a roadside shooter court environment rather than at home. So I do think that this is going to be a very fascinating spot with a Drake team that has the best player out there on the floor, Tucker DeVries. He's able to do it all with about 20.5 points, 6.2 boards, shooting 34% from three-point range, but then you've also got some 
nice helping hands around him. Aiden Wright, along with Kevin Overton, they've been able to combine for about 27 points per contest between the two of them. They're shooting about 36.5% from three-point range, and this team also has Darnell Brody down low, who's able to give you eight rebounds per game. The biggest thing for Illinois State is trying to be able to play relatively even up on the glass, because other than Brody, along with Tucker DeVries, you don't have anyone else on the roster for this Drake team that gives you north of three and a half rebounds per game in terms of their overall rebound rate. Drake, despite that, they are still a top 125 team with that regard, but this is also a Drake team that they do give up about 10.8 points more per 100 possessions in a roadside shooter court environment rather than when they are at home, and this is a Drake team that with regards to their rebound rate on the road, it does slip with that as well. This is an Illinois State team that they really don't have ideal size, but they somehow, someway, just cobble up enough rebounding to be a top 100 rebound rate team in all of college basketball. Miles Foster has been your main guy with about 7 or so rebounds per game, but darn near everyone on the roster is averaging like 4 or 5 rebounds per game. Kendall Lewis has been able to give you about 6 boards for Illinois State. They do shoot just 27% from 3-point range, so they're really going to need to knife the ball inside, and this is a Drake team that they could be at a little bit more on the interior. This is a Drake team that, with regards to their three-point shooting defense, it has actually been quite superb thus far this season, but this is an Illinois State team that they've done a good job with Brandon Leib, who is a seven-foot-one gentleman that comes in from Illinois, that would be able to guard down low, and it is a Drake team that is 238th in terms of opponents' two-point shooting percentage, allowing opponents to make 56.1% of their two-point shots in a road-slash-shooter environment. So I do think that that's going to keep Illinois State in this game. It's an Illinois State team that is turning the ball for about 12.3 times for contest. Not great, not terrible, Dalton Banks becoming a much better ball handler with nearly four assists per contest along 10 points. So here at an eight or more, going to be taking a look at the points with Illinois State. And I did semi-12 137.5. Both of these teams are rather slow with regards to their tempo. Drake outside the top 200 in terms of total possessions per game. And I do think that Illinois State going to be looking down low, not looking at three. So looking at the under and going to be taking the points with Illinois State. 719, 720 on the betting board. Oklahoma plays out of West Virginia. West Virginia does find themselves as an underdog of 13 to 13 half points. Jordan's game, finding an anywhere between 143 and 144, and did something I 143. I'm going to be taking a look at the under. It's a West Virginia team that, with Kirk Crease, uh, with Raekwon Battle, all these guys back at the fold, they've been looking to play a little bit more rapidly, but I do think that the home court environment and tenor of this game is going to be leading to some issues for West Virginia, and I'm going to be one to lay with Oklahoma. I do think that them getting bumped from the top 10, losing that game against Kansas, I do think that that's going to wake them up quite a bit, and this is an Oklahoma team that they really do benefit from being at home. They are averaging 17 more points per 100 possessions in terms of their offense when they're at home rather than on the road. And in terms of their defensive efficiency, in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, they're giving up a full 20 points fewer when they're at home rather than in a roadside shooter card environment. Going up against the West Virginia team has currently 200th with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. West Virginia still dealing with that Jesse Edwards injury, and that's the one place where you can hurt this Oklahoma team. They don't necessarily have a ton down low. You've only got two guys that are giving you north of five rebounds per game, and they both give you 5.7 rebounds per game. It's Sam Godwin along Jalon Moore. So Oklahoma, their Achilles heel is not going to be on earth in this game. It is a Oklahoma team that they've been able to have JVL McCollum along with Otega away be able to combine for about 29 points per contest and with away, hopefully I say this correctly, I always think I'm saying his last name wrong. He's shooting 65% from three-point range. I do think that we are going to be seeing that taper off just a little bit moving forward, but that said, John Ugly has been terrific. He's been able to give this team nine points, four and a half rebounds per game. You've been able to get just production up and down the boulevard from this Oklahoma team. Meanwhile, this is a West Virginia squad that even with Raekwon Battle in the fold and in the 
six games that he's been back, he's been averaging 20 and a half points per contest. It hasn't really resulted in great results because the defense has now went down the toilet bowl. For Raekwon Battle being in, the team has given up 73 plus points in five out of their six games with them. The lone game was the first game when they played against Radford and lost outright on their own floor. Kirk Risa continues to have some turnover woes. He has been able to give the team five assists, but also three turnovers per contest, so he makes a great play, but he also makes a boneheaded play as well. That's just the experience that you're going to get with our good friend, Mr. Kirk Risa. We've had Quinn Slizniski be able to shoot in the low 30s from three par range, but it's a West Virginia team that as a whole. They are shooting just 30.8% from three par range as well. You've got your issues there going up against an Oklahoma team that has been able to do a good job of being able to lock down from three par range. Had a little bit of a rough go of it against Kansas over the weekend, but that said, this is still an Oklahoma team that's seventh in all of college basketball because of opponent's three point shooting percentage. West Virginia, they are 212th with this regard. I do think that this is going to be domination and a bounce back spot for Oklahoma. So I did set Oklahoma as a 15 point favorite. I am going to be willing to lay this number and did somebody total 143. I just don't think that this West Virginia team is going to be able to do their part with this total. So I'm going to be diving in on the under and I'm going to be willing to lay with Oklahoma. 721, 722 on the betting board. Texas, they're back to being a favorite at home against Central Florida. Central Florida, an underdog of eight and a half points. So on scheme is 139 and Texas, I can only set them as a four and a half point favorite. I'm going to be one to take the points with Central Florida. Now, this is going to be a rough road trip for Central Florida. Now, having to travel from Florida to the great state of Texas, they're not quite used to this, but this Central Florida team has been absolutely tremendous with their defense in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Number four in all of college basketball. Fear that you do have is that they are giving up about 23 points more per 100 possessions in a road slash huge court environment rather than at home. And this is a Texas team that they themselves have been pretty darn good with their defense. 22nd in the country with this regard. And at home, they're giving up about 27 points fewer per one hour possessions rather than in a roadside shoot record environment. But this is still a Texas team that they do give up the three ball. They're about 188th in all of college basketball in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. Central Florida, they're more in the neighborhood of 98th. They're allowing opponents to shoot north of 40% from three-point range away from home. I do think that that's a little bit of an outlier and a product of them not necessarily playing a ton of road games. So I do think that that is going to be improving a little bit moving forward. But I do think that also for the Central Florida team, they are to see some positivity in terms of Jalen Sellers and his three-point shooting. He's been able to lead the way for the team, being able to fly about 17.5 points per contest, but last year at Ball State, shot 45% from three-point range. That's far this season. He's only shooting about 26.5% from three-point range, so I do think that we're going to see a little bit of an uptick there. Meanwhile, for Texas, you've got out there in the backcourt, guys are able to put the ball in the basket. Max A. Smith, Tyrese Hunter, these two guys have been tremendous in terms of being able to facilitate the offense with a combined 8.5 assists per contest. Hunter, 12.5 points, low 33 points shooter. Ace Smith shoots more around 41.3% from three-point range. All in all, Texas team that does shoot 37% from the outside. And you do have Dylan Mitchell, who's been able to do a great job down low for the Texas team, give you about nine rebounds per game. But I do think that Central Florida is going to be able to do a good job on the glass. The Central Florida team, with regards to their overall rebound rate, they're clocking in 43rd. Texas, they are outside the top 75. As for Central Florida, Abriba Diallo, he doesn't necessarily give you like 100 million billion rebounds. He gives you about seven boards, but I mean, he does a tremendous job being able to lock down defensively with nearly two blocks per contest. Omar Payne is able to give you a block and a half per game. It's a Central Florida team that they also are better, one of the better teams in all of college basketball at being able to generate turnovers as well. They're getting nine and a half seals per game. Part of this is because they do play a relatively up-tempo style and they throw teams for a little bit of a loop with that regard. They are just really efficient with regards to their defense. They do a nice job of being able to just box you up and in terms of turnovers for us on a per-possession basis, Central Florida, number nine in all of college basketball. I do think that that's going to throw off a Texas team that 
that at times they just look to be a little bit disjointed and a little bit wonky. So I did set my line at four and a half. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Central Florida. And I did set my total at a 140 and a half. I do think that Central Florida going to be able to find a little bit more offense here. And they, certainly their defense does take a little bit of a fall on a roadside short court environment. And on top of that, I do think you get some late game fouling. So here at the 139, looking over and taking the points with Central Florida. 723, 724 on the betting board. Northern Iowa, it's a red face off against Belmont. And Belmont finds themselves at a pick game slash as a one point favorite. And your total on this game is anywhere between 151 to 151 and a half. And with Northern Iowa, I did set them as an underdog of two points. So getting Belmont here at a pick slash a minus one. I'm going to be willing to take Belmont. Now for the Bruins, uh, what has been brewing has been some very bad defense as far as the season turns. Points a lot on a per possession basis. This team is well outside the top 225 in all of college basketball, 253rd for that matter, but they've been significantly better at home. They are giving up about 16 and a half points fewer per 100 possessions at home rather than in a road slash shoot record environment. And when it comes to Northern Iowa, man, this team is about 213th in the country. It turns points a lot on a per possession basis, so they're not necessarily that much more tremendous there. And for the Northern Iowa team, they just don't necessarily do the world's greatest job on the glass as well. They're about 147th with regards to the rebound rate, but you really don't have anyone other than Titan Anderson, who's been able to give you about five and a half to six rebounds per game. That is giving you north of five boards per game. So I do think that that's going to be a bit of an issue. While you do have a Belmont team that has Malik Dia really coming into his own. Malik Dia is a guy that does a little bit of everything. Standing in that neighborhood of about six foot seven, six foot eight, 15 and a half points, five and a half boards, shooting in the high 30s from three-point range, has really been able to come on strong towards back half of the season. And they go up against a bunch of Northern Iowa that has had Bowen Bourne really being able to have a nice surge recently. He had a rough start to the season. I'm thinking that he had to be going through an injury or something like that. And has had just 21 points combined in his last two games. But all in all, for Bowen Bourne, this guy has been able to give you north of 15 points and now five other teams last seven games. Still not necessarily the world's most efficient shooter as from three-point range as far as the season, about 33.5% but he does shoot 96% at the free throw line for a Northern Iowa team that does a good job of being able to find quite a bit of offense. They do have someone that stands right around 6'10", 6'11", Jacob Hudson. Need to see a little bit more than the four rebounds that you've been able to get out of him. But this has been a Belmont team that, other than when they were playing against Indiana State, the defense has been a little bit improved. The Indiana State game, that was a little bit less than savory, but that said, they have given up now 73 points or fewer in four of the last five games. You've got Kate Tyson, who has all sorts of versatility. He and also Jacoby Gillespie are both giving you about 16 points per contest, and Tyson at right around about six foot seven is able to shoot 40% from three for a Belmont team that overall does shoot 37.5% from the outside, and they do get to go up against a Northern Iowa team, of which their perimeter defense has been, shall we say, not so terrific in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage. Three are in tenth in all of college basketball. So, did set Belmont as a two-point favor. Going to be willing to take a look at them on this pick and line slash laying a point, and with regards to total, did set it at a 150. I do think that Belmont is starting to improve a little bit defensively, and they'll do a good job holding Northern Iowa to one and done's in Northern Iowa still not a super up-tempo team so looking at the under and going to be one to take Belmont in this ordeal so 25 so 26 on the bank board Northwestern plays with some Maryland Maryland does find themselves as underdogs of three and a half points so it's between 128 and a half and 129 and I did sign Northwestern as a favorite of five points I'm going to be one to lay this number it is a Northwestern team that does get a nice bump up from being at home and for Northwestern they have fallen outside the top 100 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis big reason why has been their three-point shooting defense they're allowing 
opponents to shoot 36.6% from three-point range in a roadside shoot record environment. Fortunately for them, they're going up against a bottom 40 team in terms of three-point shooting percentage in Maryland. Now, both of these teams actually do a relatively solid job of being able to generate some turnovers for Northwestern and Maryland. Both of these teams do rank in the top 50 in terms of turnovers for us on a per-possession basis. And this is a Maryland team that, while they are a team that is outside of the top 125 in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage, in terms of percentage of shots that they allow opponents to take from three-point range, they're actually a top 25 team in all of college basketball. They do a good job of not allowing you to take those threes, and that's in terms of percentage of shots that do come from three-point range. Meanwhile, you do have yourself a Northwestern team that they do such a good job of being able to take care of the ball. With Northwestern, they are a top 20 team in all of college basketball in terms of fewest turnovers on a per-possession basis. You've gotten a lot of production out of Boo Booey over the last few years, and he is leading the team once again in scoring. Has been able to supply 18 and a half points, five assists to about 2.3 turnovers per game for a team that does shoot 37% from three-point range. Now, the issue that you do have with this Northwestern team, they're going to get plowed on the glass. This team is well outside of the top 200 in terms of overall rebound rate. Brooks Barnizer is the only guy on the roster that gives you north of four rebounds per game. He's been able to supply right around about seven rebounds per game, and this is a Northwestern team that, with regards to being at home, it does provide a lot more offense for them. They have been able to get about 17 more points per one hour possessions at home rather than in a roadside shoot court environment in this Maryland team. Shooting sub-27% from three-point range when they're away from home, that is going to be a big, giant issue going up against a Northwestern team that does shoot 38.7% from three-point range at home. I do think that Julian Reese is going to do a solid job for this Maryland team down low. He's been able to supply the team with nearly 10 boards, 14 points per contest. And Jameer Young, he does it all. Four boards, four assists, steal and half. 20 points, 33% three-point shooter, but that lack of outside shooting I think is going to be costly, and a Maryland team that does rely quite a bit on turnovers, I don't think that they're going to get as many in this spot against a Northwestern team that does a really good job of being able to take care of the ball. So, a circumstance where I am going to be taking a look at Northwestern laying the numbers at them as a five-point favorite, and with regards to the total, did some mine at a 131. So, I'm going to be taking a look at the over. I do think that this is a close enough game for late game felling, and I'm going to be taking a look at Northwestern. 727-728 on the betting board, private it's a road face off against DePaul. DePaul does find themselves as an underdog of 9.5 to 10 points at home. Total on scheme in between 139 and 139.5. Seeing straight 138.5 out there as well with Providence. Set them as a 9.5 point favorite. So here at 10, I'm actually going to be wanting to take the points with DePaul. It's grody. It's sad. I know, but this is also a Providence team that is turning the ball over north of 13 times for contest. They have been dealing with the injury to Bryce Hopkins, and that does diminish them quite a bit going up against a ball team that certainly there's still Swiss cheese on defense in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, 338th in all of college basketball. But at the very least, they are giving up 15 and a half points fewer on a per 100 possessions basis when they are at home rather than in a road slash record environment. So they should get a nice little bump up with themselves being at home. And when it comes to this Providence team, they have been a tremendous defense in their own right. A top 30 team turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, doing a good job of being able to lock down the three-point arc, but I do think that for DePaul, they're actually going to be able to do an okay job of being able to find a little bit of scoring. I like Jeremiah Odin along Chico Carter. Both of these guys shoot between 39 and 40% from three-point range. It's a uh, squad that has been able to get quite a bit of production as well out of Sean Nelson. He's saying 6'8 and has very good versatility as he's been able to supply the team with two assists. He's chipping in there a team eye, which it's really sad when you say 
a team eye for this. 4.4 rebounds per game going up against the Providence squad that is certainly going to be having the upper hand there. Providence about 107th in all of college basketball with regards to rebound rate. DePaul, they are well outside the top 250. As a matter of fact, outside the top 320. So that's going to be a little bit of a tough ordeal. But that said, when it comes to this DePaul team, now you've been able to get a little bit more recently in terms of facilitation. Uh, Jaden Henley, he's been able to give you a few assists. He had five assists and 17 points in that loss against Georgetown about a week or two ago. So I do like what I'm seeing there. And this is a Providence team that without having out there in the fold, Bryce Hopkins, the defense has been diminished a little bit. They've now given up 69 plus points in four of the team's last five games. Offense has been a little bit stagnant as well. 65 points or fewer in three out of their last four games. You do have Devin Carter. He's a nice do-it-all player that's able to give you 17 points, eight and a half boards, three assists, shooting about 37.5% from three-point range. But it is a Providence team that, again, they turn the ball over a lot. They don't necessarily have a ton of depth. Without Hopkins in the fold, you've got four guys to give you north of eight and a half points per game and nobody else that really gives you north of four. So I do think that this is actually a really good spot for DePaul to be able to hold in this game despite the fact that they're going to lose a battle on the glass. It's a micro 135 and a half. I do think that this is going to be very much a defense-oriented game. So going to be taking a look at the under along with double figures with DePaul. 729, 730 on the betting board. It is Auburn and they are going to be on the road facing off against Vanderbilt. Anchor down for the Commodores who find themselves as well the 13.0 underdogs. So on this game is 147.5 with Auburn. I did set them as 12.5 point favorites. We're mostly seeing 12 out there. I'm seeing one straight 13, but it's mostly 12 and at the 12, I'm going to be one late and honestly I'd rather lay 12 rather than take 13 personally just because I mean, this is an Auburn team that's checking all the boxes right now. It's an Auburn team that is ranked in the top 40 in terms of both offensive efficiency, points scored on a per-possession basis, and defensive efficiency, points allowed on a per-possession basis. You've got a bunch that has been able to really elevate their three-point shooting with having Aiden Holloway be able to give you an assist-to-turnover ratio of right around three, has been able to shoot in the mid-30s from three-point range, and then G&I Broom is absolutely cleaning up for an Auburn team that has been still quite beastly on the glass. With Broom, he's able to give you eight and a half boards, nearly two blocks, 15 and a half points per game for an Auburn team that, with regards to their rebound, rate. They're clocking in 34th in all of college basketball. And Vanderbilt dealing with the Cullen Smith and Shiri. He has been really lost for this team. It's a Vanderbilt team that's just 183rd with regards to their overall rebound rate. Vanderbilt outside the top 200 in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. They shoot as a collective below 30 and a half percent for three point range. And I do like what Ezra Magnon has been able to do for the squad. He's able to give you 16 points, three and a half assists, has shot throughout his career in the mid 30s from three point range. And you've got Kazos Tomateros, who comes in from South Dakota, he's been able to shoot nearly 40% from three-par inch as well, but it's a Vanderbilt team that's 260th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. They do get loose with the ball when the ball is not in the hands of Magnon. Meanwhile, you've got for Auburn many different ball handlers. You've got someone like a Trey Donaldson, who's been able to do a tremendous job being able to give this team right around about three and a half assists per contest for Auburn. You also have down low someone like a Dylan Cardwell, who's able to give you four and a half boards, one and a half blocks per game. I swear this team is Noah's Ark because they've got two of everything. Meanwhile, Vanderbilt, they're just looking for a starting five at this point. It's Tyron Lawrence. He's been able to give you 13 and a half points, five boards. He's leading the way down low. Van Allen Lubin has been able to give you a little bit more as well, but for Vanderbilt, it just really has been a rough state of affairs for this team. The defense is once again getting gashed as 
for this Vanderbilt defense. They've now allowed at least 77 points in three out of their last five games for Vanderbilt. I mean, they just have really had a tough time being able to score as well. For Vanderbilt, they have failed to get past the 67-point plateau in all but two out of their last eight games, and I do think that Auburn is really going to be able to take it to them in this spot. I'm going to be willing to lay up to 12 with Auburn, and with the way that Auburn has just been scoring at will, this team has gotten past the 80-point plateau in five out of their last six games. I do think that they're going to take it to the Commodores. I did set my total at a 148.5, so here at a 147.5, I think there might be a little bit of positivity for this Vanderbilt offense. Looking at the over, and I'm going to be willing to lay up to 12 with Auburn. Sub 31, sub 32 on the board. Texas Tech hits a road face off against Houston. Houston does find themselves as a favorite of any between 11.5 to 12 points. Dallas game is between 129 and 129.5. Did set my line at 11.5. Now that we're getting at 12, I'm going to be willing to take the points with Texas Tech. Texas Tech right now stands alone at top of the Big 12 and I don't think that that's going to be lasting for a whole heck of a lot longer. That said, I have been very impressed by this Texas Tech squad. This is a Texas Tech squad that turns the points a lot on a per possession basis. This is a top 75 team in all of college basketball. They are playing that Grant McCaslin's Style, really slowing things down and for Pops Isaacs, he has been a really nice floor general for the team with about 3 assists, 16.5 points per contest playing in concert very well with Joe Toussaint who's been able to give you 4 assists per contest and it's a Texas Tech team that they shoot about 35.5% from 3 par inch. I do think that this is going to be a hard-nosed grinder of a game on defense. I did set my total at a 129.5 so now that we're getting down to about a 129 that's my max buy point on the over but I'm going to be taking a look at the overs. I do think that Houston's defensive numbers Built very much on the fact that they played against, shall we say, lesser competition. Now, Houston is playing very, very slowly. They are outside the top 275 in terms of total possessions per game, but the Texas Tech offense has really been able to come alive as well. They do a nice job of being able to give themselves second chances with Warren Washington being able to do a solid job along with Darion Williams of combining for about 15 to 16 rebounds per game, a lot of those being second chance rebounds. On top of that, you've been able to get some really good three-point shooting out of Kerwin Walton along with Chance McMillan combining for about 16 and a half points and 45% three-point shooting. Meanwhile, for this Houston team, you do have LJ Cryer. He's able to bomb it very well from three-point range himself, shooting 38% from three-point range. Manuel Sharp, well, he has been sharp. He's been able to shoot 36.7% from three-point range. And for Houston, I do think that there's going to be a little bit of regression with their three-point shooting defense. Now, they're always a very solid team with regards to their three-point shooting defense, but they're allowing opponents to shoot just 24.9% from three-point range at home. I think it's going to be tremendous. I think it's more like 27 to 28% when it's all said and done, though. I do think that Texas Tech is going to be able to take it to them a little bit on that spot. And for Texas Tech, they themselves allow opponents to shoot about 35.5% from three-point range as well. But I do think that Texas Tech does a relatively solid job on the glass. I do think that Houston gets the job done, and I do think that they're going to be able to win this game a little bit comfortably. But I do think that with this line getting to 12, we just have went a little bit too far. So being able to get 12, going to be taking a look at the points with Texas Tech. I think that there's a chance that they keep this game just close enough for late game following as well. So I did set my total 129.5, the 129 looking over and looking at the points with Texas Tech. 733, 734 on the betting board. It is Louisville, and they're in the road. They're facing off against North Carolina. UNC, a 21 to a 22 point favorite, and your total on this game is between 154 and 155 and a half. There is no question about it. This Louisville team should be a pretty sizable underdog. I feel like we've went a little bit too far here. I did set my line at 20, which is relatively in line with what you'd expect like Kentucky to be in terms of a favorite over Louisville as well. When Louisville went on the road and they faced off against Kentucky in late December, keep in mind this was a Louisville home game, they were a 13 and a half point underdog. So if you award three points for home court advantage, that would be about a 20 to a 20 and a half point line. So I do think that this has went a little bit extreme. It's a North Carolina squad that is going to be able to do a tremendous job down low 
Armando Bacot being able to give you a double-double, but now he's got hope down low. Harrison Ingram being able to give you eight boards, two and a half assists, seal and a half. He's been very versatile for a North Carolina team that all of a sudden their defense is actually prevalent and it's actually functioning quite well. North Carolina, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, didn't think I'd be saying this. They're a top 25 team, so they've been able to do a nice job on that front. You've got a Louisville team that they've been able to have Brandon only Hatfield actually do a halfway okay job of being able to play the glass. Now, they're 254th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but he's been able to give the team eight and a half rebounds per game, and Mikey James has been the guy that's been able to step up. He and Sky Clark both gave you about 14 and a half points per contest, but for Mr. James, 20 plus points in each of the last three games. Big reason why they were able to knock off Miami all right on the money line, and I mean, it is a squad in Louisville that's gotten to at least 70 points in four of their last five games. It's still a pretty deplorable squad. It's still a team that's turning the ball over 12 and a half times per game, but they're up to shooting about 32% from three-point range, so you've been able to get a little bit more fight and just a little bit more effort out of this team. You've got Trey White, who's been able to give you 12 points, right in the neighborhood, about five and a half rebounds per game. This is not a Louisville team that's really going to be pressuring the ball. They don't generate a lot of seals, and North Carolina has never been a team like that as well, and for North Carolina, they've actually scored 70 points or fewer in three other last four games. They just continue to win because the defense has been so strong, but they popped off for 103 big points in that game against Syracuse, so you've got a lot of intrigue here. It is a Louisville team that, while the offense has been able to rise up this defense, well, it has not been rising up to the challenge, as they have now given up at least 75 points in all but one of their games since the beginning of the month of December, so something's got to give, but I do think that we've went a little bit too far. I think that Homely Hatfield does an okay job on glass. Louisville starting to pop a few more threes. Did some I told 154, so here at a 155 and a half, 156. I think we've gone too far with this total. Looking at the under, I do like what I'm seeing on this North Carolina defense, but I do think that north of 20 has went a little bit too far. Going to be one to take the points with Louisville and the under. 735, 736 on the main board. Arizona State plays us to UCLA. UCLA does find themselves as an underdog of three and a half points. Seeing some threes out there as well. Totals any between 129 and 130 and a half. I did set my number at a six half. I'm going to be willing to lay with Arizona State. This Arizona State squad certainly has their warts on offense, but ever since they've been able to get Adam Miller eligible, this has been a nice turnaround. And for UCLA, they were able to get a nice win on Sunday to stop the bleeding against Washington, but wasn't really as a result of amazing offense. They were able to get to 73 points, and that was the first time UCLA was able to exceed the 72-point plateau since they had faced off against Long Island prior to Thanksgiving. So it has been a really rough state of affairs for a UCLA team that is outside the top 250 in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. I mean, it has been very, very strange to take a look at, to say the least, and Sebastian Mack has really been the lone form of offense for the team with about 13.5 points per contest, chipping in their 4.2 board. Adam Bona is really the lone guy that returned from last year, and he's been able to give you about six and a half rebounds per game, and this is a UCLA team that defensively, they haven't been terrible. They're able to be, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, a top 100 team. They got completely gashed in that game against Utah, but they're still clocking in about 62nd in the country with that regard, but Arizona State has been a relatively solid defense as well. It's been creeping up a little bit ever since we have seen Adam Miller come back in the fold, but they're a team that ranks about 79th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, giving up 14.2 points more per 100 possessions in a roadside-shoot-record environment rather than at home, but for Arizona State, all of a sudden, they have been able to find a little bit of offense. They have gotten to at least 70 points and now five other last six games. For Miller, he's not the most efficient scorer in the world. He gives you 13 points on 36.5% shooting overall from the floor, but shoots 36% from three-point range. He's making all of his threes, and when it comes to this Arizona State team, they're going to get clocked on the glass. They're outside the top 250 in terms of overall rebound rate, but you'll be able to get a 
little bit more out of Frankie Collins along with Jamea Neal. These two guys have both been able to give you about five and a half rebounds per game. Collins is also one of the best ball hawks in all of college basketball. 3.1 seals per game for Arizona State and all their deficiencies. They don't turn the ball over a lot. They only turn the ball over about 11 and a half times per contest for UCLA. Lazer Stefanovic gives you about 30% three-point shooting, but this Arizona State team, they should be able to get a nice boost from the fact that this UCLA bunch, they just don't hit any threes to save their lives. 29% from the outside, that is a bottom 40 mark in all of college basketball, so I do think that Arizona State, a team that's been able to do a pretty solid job of being able to guard the three-point arc, is good to be able to hold up in this spot, and it's a UCLA team that, while they do a relatively solid job down low, they do allow opponents to shoot right around 34.5% from three in a roadside shoot court environment, so I did set my line at 6.5. I'm going to be willing to lay it with Arizona State. And maybe I told 136.5. Arizona State has been much better with their offense recently, and I do think that they're going to be able to get to this ECLA team. So, looking at the over, and I'm going to be willing to lay it with Arizona State. 737, 738 on the betting board. USC is on the road facing off against Arizona. Arizona is a favorite of 17 to 17 half points. Totals between 158 and half and 160. I made my line 19. I'm going to be willing to lay this number. For USC, they finally showed a little bit of a lick of defense against Colorado, but then the offense just went as cold as an igloo towards the back half of the game. You needed a miracle Kobe Johnson three at the end of the game just to be able to cover that one. And for USC, 296th in all of college basketball in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. This USC team is currently 160th. I mean, things are just not going well for them. And as much as we always want to talk about the Arizona offense, it's been the Arizona defense that, to me, has really stood out. They're giving up at home about 20 and a half points fewer per runner in possessions rather than in a roadside shoot court environment. 39th in all of college basketball. There's a points a lot on a per-possession basis. Now, the Arizona, you know that the offense is going to be a constant, and they are just a different team when they are in Tucson. They are averaging about 27 points more per runner in possessions at home rather than in a roadside shoot court environment. You've got a north of 50% three-point shooter that has really been able to add to this team and Pell Larson, and then you've got Caleb Love, who we all know he's going to give you 15-plus points per contest. USC does not have a single player, by the way. Currently notching more than five and a half rebounds per game, and for USC, for the longest of times, this team was really able to have a forte of being able to guard down low. They would give up the three-point arc, but you know what? You knew that in the post, with Joshua Morgan giving you two and a half blocks per contest, that they'd be able to hunker down there, but that's not been the case this year with Kobe Johnson and his 4.7 rebounds per game. Currently leading the way, Vincent Iwuchuku has not developed the way that this team was hoping that they would. Now, I will say, for USC, they are shooting about 36% from three-pointers with the Boogie Ellis. 18.5 points, 3.5 assists, 45.5% three-point shooter, but DJ Rodman has been a bust. Seven points, is shooting 40% from three-point range, but not giving you a lot on the glass. And you've got Bronny James currently notching five points per contest, shooting 23% from three-point range. He is not looking like a future NBA player at this point. So, I mean, it's just all sorts of awful for this team. Meanwhile, it's an Arizona team that they are going to turn the ball over a little bit just with their high-octane offense, but this team, they've got them completely covered on the glass. Umar Balo being able to give you seven-plus rebounds per game, he should be able to win that battle. There's just so much versatility. There's just so many guys are able to notch it from three-point range for Arizona that they should be able to dominate this game. I do think that this is going to be another one of these games where USC is going to give up 100 million billion points. I do think that the USC offense is going to be better than what we saw in their last two games where they failed to get to 65 prior to that. They had scored 70-plus in 
and darn near all of their games entering into Christmas. And this is an Arizona team coming off of scoring just 70 points against Washington State. But prior to that, this team had gotten to at least 80 points in every single one of their games in the month of December leading into early January. And for that matter, this Arizona team, they have been held below uh, 74 points just twice this far this season. Actually, just once this far this season. That was that game against Washington State. So I do think that the Arizona offense is going to be back in full force. My total 165, looking at the over, and I'm going to be willing to lay up to 18 and a half with Arizona. This is last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we hit the extra game. Some 39, some 40. San Diego State plays us in Nevada. Nevada does find themselves as a underdog of five and a half points. So last game is 139 to 139 and a half with San Diego State. So the best four and a half point favorite. So I'm going to be willing to take five plus here with Nevada. Nevada just does a good job of being able to execute the little things. They don't turn the ball over. They hit their free throws. They don't miss defensive assignments. Nevada is a top 40 team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Not like a supreme team when it comes to being able to notch it from three-point range or anything like that, but the squad does a really nice job of just being able to find a way to be able to operate and be able to get their offense flowing with having a pair of guys in the backcourt that have been tremendous. Keenan Blackshear has not really been able to shoot it from three-point range, but at 6'5", it gives you four and a half assists, five plus rebounds to be able to chip in there about 15 to 16 points per game. And then Jared Lucas, he does a good job switching from man-to-man to zone defense on that side of things and leads the team with 17 and a half points, shooting 37.5% from three-point range for a Nevada team that they only turn the ball over nine times per contest. They shoot about 73 percent at the free throw line and this team has someone in Nick Davidson doing a nice job down low 10 and a half points seven and a half boards per contest and even though Nevada doesn't really have anyone outside that that gives you north of five and a half rebounds per game I still think that they're going to do a solid job on glass San Diego State has Jaden Ladee doing amazing work with about 20 points seven boards per contest but San Diego State only about 135th in all of college basketball with regards to a rebound rate they need more of these ancillary pieces to step up as Nevada's actually got the better rebound rate entering into this game and for San Diego State, Darion Trammell, Lamont Butler with so, such big pieces in the team being able to make the national title game a season ago. They're both shooting below 30% from three with about eight points per game apiece. It is a San Diego State team that's generating more turnovers than a season ago and I think that's also a solid job taking care of the ball. Reese Sticks and Waters along with Micah Parrish been able to combine for about 23 points per contest shooting it relatively soft from three points but all in all it's a San Diego State team that's shooting 32.5% from the outside. San Diego State has been getting smashed on defense recently as well. They have now given up 70 plus points in three out of their last five games. Offense has looked a little bit better and that's just been San Diego State. They'll just go on these runs where they'll fail to give up more than 60 points for like five straight games and then they'll get destroyed on defense for five games. That's just the way that they've been. Meanwhile, Nevada is at steady Eddie team in terms of their defense. It has been absolutely tremendous recently. They have given up 64 points or fewer in each of their last five games and as a matter of fact, they have given up 68 points or fewer in all but one of their games since the beginning of the month of December. I do think that you're going to see a little bit more offense in this game, but I think that this total set too high. Did somebody draw a 136 half. I'm diving in on the under and being able to get north of five, going to be taking the points with Nevada. Now we hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. 306-501, 306-502. Colgate is on the road facing off against Army. Army does find themselves as an underdog of eight points at home. Total on this game is 131 half, and I did set Army as an underdog of seven points. I'm going to be willing to take the points. This is a Colgate 
team that each of the last three years has been a top five team in terms of overall three-point shooting percentage. We've seen a little bit of diminishment this year, but you do have Braden Smith, who's able to do a nice job of being able to the sat sheet, 13 half points, five and a half boards, 36% three-point shooter for a Colgate team that does shoot about 36.2% from distance, but I did have to set my total here at a 133. I'm going to be taking a look at the over, despite the fact that this is going to be a little bit of a lower possession game, as Colgate always finds their offense when it comes to Patriot League play. They've been able to get to 78 plus points in three of their last four games, and for this Army team, they're starting to really give it up on defense, 70 plus points surrendered in each of their last two games, and when it comes to this Army bunch, you've been able to get a little bit more outside shooting. I'm not saying it's amazing. They're shooting 32.5% from three-point range, but got a 40% three-point shooter, and TJ Small has been able to give you about 10 points per contest, getting a little bit more on glass with Josh Govins being able to give you 12 points, five and a half rebounds per game. Now, they're going to have a tough time with six foot ten Keegan Records, who's able to give you in that neighborhood of about six, six and a half rebounds per game, but for this Colgate team, it's not like they do an amazing job on the glass. They're about 117th in the country with regards to overall rebound rate. It is a Navy team that they're Clocking in right around 250th, but Charlie Peterson, great name, has been able to give you a little bit of rebounding, and it is an Army team that turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. They're giving up about four more points at home rather than on the road, but they are seeing a nice uptick with regards to their offense as well. This is a Colgate team that they themselves have been a little bit vulnerable from the outside right now. Turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. 162nd in all of college pass will give you up 13.2 points more when they're away from home. So I did set my total out of 133. I do think that Army going to be able to keep this close enough for late game falling, even though I do think that it's going to be a little possession game and with Army starting to give up a few more threes. Colgate being able to crank up their offense. Going to be looking at the over to go along with the points with Army. 3 of 6, 5 of 3, 3 of 6, 5 of 4. Holy Cross is going to be playing us the Lafayette. Lafayette is a five and a half point favorite with your total on this game, 129. And with Lafayette, I did set them as an underdog of a point and a half. I'm going to be rolling with Holy Cross all right on the money line. For this Lafayette team, this has been one of the more deplorable offenses in all of college basketball. Now, some credit where credit is due. They have gotten to at least 69 points in each other last two games, but this is still a Lafayette team that they're outside the top 275 in terms of total possessions per game, in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Their team has clocking in right around about 134th, but they just need to find a little bit more consistency as you don't have a single guy that gives you north of 10 points per game. Justin Vanderbond is at approximately 10 points per game. Five boards down low. He should be able to give you a little bit more than anyone else out there on the floor. Two and a half blocks as a true seven-footer, but that's that for Holy Cross. You do have Joe Octave. He's able to stuff the stat sheet for Holy Cross in the backcourt right around 15 points, six and a half boards, shooting only about 30% from three-point range, and it is a Holy Cross team that they do shoot just 63% of the free line, but they do shoot about 33% from the outside going up against the Lafayette team that is a bottom 20 team with regards to a three-point shooting percentage. They're shooting just 27.7% from the outside. This is a Lafayette team that they can be at with regards to the three-point shooting defense, allowing opponents in a road slash record environment to shoot 36.2% from three-point range. Only cross, certainly they're getting gashed from three as well. 349th in the country with this regard, but I do think that Holy Cross is going to be able to find a way to do just enough down low, and you don't have a Lafayette offense that really has a main guy that is able to help out this offense in the backcourt, as you've been able to have DJ Hines be able to give you about nine or so points per contest. He's been able to give you a little bit of something. KJ Jenkins, he chips in there eight points, four and a half rebounds per game, and it is a Lafayette team that each of your top four scores do give you at least four rebounds per game, but you've got nobody on the roster. That gives you an earth of five rebounds per game. As a result, Lafayette, 309th in all of college basketball with regards to their rebound rate. Holy Cross, they're right on par with that at 304th, but I do think the full Holy Cross being able to get a little bit more production out of 
The versatile six foot six combo player, Caleb Kenny, has been able to give you 10 points, six and a half rebounds per game, and a block and a half per contest. Has been able to log double figures in each of the last five games. Going to be just as enough for Holy Cross to win down low. And I do think that Holy Cross, they're going to be able to get just enough out of their backcourt to be able to get it done. It's a Holy Cross team that's now been able to get to at least 69 points in three of their last five games now. They have been getting gashed for at least 70 points in three of their last four games. And for Lafayette, we've seen a little bit of an offensive uptick from them. So this is a total that I did set out of 127.5 here. Out of 129, I think we've gone a little bit too far from a small sample size, especially with Lafayette now giving up 64 points or fear in each other last five games. But I do think that Holy Cross finds a way to get it done in the backcourt. Looking at Holy Cross on the money line, and going to be taking a look at this 129 under 3065 and 5306 Longwood. It's a red face off against the USC Upstate. Upstate is an underdog of five points with your total 135 and a half with Upstate. I did set them as an underdog of six points. So I'm going to be willing to lay with Longwood. Longwood, a top 75 team in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, and a big reason why. They're a top 35 team in terms of their overall rebound rate. With Longwood, it is Christmas. Michael Christmas has been able to do an amazing job giving the team right in the neighborhood of both seven and a half rebounds, 11 and a half points per game. And out of your top four scores, three of them give you at least six rebounds per game. Also getting that out of Jonathan Massey, along with the seven footer Simon Zapala, who comes in from Utah State, who's been able to give you just under a block per contest. And it is a Longwood team that they do struggle with their offense. They shoot 31 and a half percent from three, 66% the free throw line with Waylon Napper leading a team that does turn the ball over about 13 times for contest, but USC Upstate is one of the lesser teams at all of college basketball in terms of being able to guard the three-point arc, and they themselves shoot about 65% at the free throw line, so that is going to be a big giant issue, as a matter of fact, for USC Upstate 3 and 6th in all of college basketball with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage. I do think that Longwood is going to be able to do a nice job of being able to hunker down on that front. They are a top 70 team in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage, and for USC Upstate, that's really the lifeblood of the scene because they don't have a ton down low. You've got a mere Langless, who's been able to give you seven rebounds per game for a team that's outside the top 250 with regards to rebound rate. USC Upstate does shoot 35% from three points with Trey Bordeaux leading the way with 13.5 points per contest, but it is an Upstate team that I think is going to really tr- struggle with a Longwood team that they have lost four out of their last five, but it hasn't been due to bad defense. The only of these teams that broke 70 points against them was Dayton. Meanwhile, this is an Upstate team that's getting smashed on defense, giving up 76 plus points each other last four games. This is a circumstance where I do think that Longwood is going to get their game played at their speed. A nice, slow, and grimy semi-line at a 134 in terms of the total looking under, and with Longwood, one to lay up to 5.5 with them. 3-6-5-7-3-6-5-0-8. Boston U is going to be playing against the Bucknell. Bucknell does find themselves as underdogs of 4.5 points. Throwing's game is 132.5. Semi-total at a 131. Looking at the under, it is a Bucknell team as well outside the top 275 in terms of total possessions per game, and Boston U, they're a similarly slow team, and for Boston U, I do think that they should be the favorite in this spot. Did set them as a 5-point favorite just because with Bucknell, this team has down low Noah Williamson, a true seven-footer that's able to give you five and a half rebounds per game, but he, along with your top scorer, Jack Forrest, 16 points, five and a half boards, shooting 39% from three. They're the only two guys on the roster that give you north of 3.3 rebounds per game. Bucknell turned the ball over 13 times for contest. The three-point shooting has actually come along for the ride a little bit, and we're bossing you. It's not like this team is amazing on the glass themselves, but you do have four separate guys that give you at least four rebounds per game. Miles Brewster has been able to step up as the main go-to guy in the backcourt, 10 and a half points. Points, three assists, shooting 38% from three-point and job Boston U. They're also shooting about 65.5% at the free throw line, but this is a Boston U team that I just trust in a lot more on the defensive side of things. Bucknell, I feel like, got a little bit overvalued over their win over Penn State, who we found out is not very good. Bucknell, 289th in the country, just points a lot on a per-possession basis. Boston U, 83rd with this regard. And for Boston U, they've really been able to hunker down when they've been on the road. They've been a top-20 team in terms of road and neutral court defense as well. It's a Boston 
watching YouTube, and I think he's going to be making this game quite grimy. I think that this is going to be a game where points are going to be at a premium, as neither of these teams shooting it very tremendously from the floor or from three-point range, and this is a Boston U team that, take a look at what they've been able to do recently on defense. They have now given up 68 points or fewer in every one of their games since Christmas, and Lions seem to really be able to bust through and score north of 71 points against them, Maine, on December 6th. So, did set my total 131, looking at the under, and willing to lay up to 4.5 with Boston U. We've got 306509, 306510. Presbyterian is going to be playing as high point. High point hopes will not be a low point as a 9.5 point road favorite. Phil game is 151F with high point. I did set them as a 7 point favorite, so I'm going to be willing to take 9.5 with Presbyterian. I recognize that Vanderbilt has turned out to be a big giant stinker this year, but I mean, this is a Presbyterian team that was able to go on the road. They were able to get the job done there. Presbyterian, a relatively solid three point shooting defense, and this is a high point team that they themselves do leave themselves open to giving up a lot of three point shooting looks in a road church corner environment. Opponents are shooting 38.1% from three-point range against them, and Sabaje Teal has been one of the better mid-major three-point shooters out there, shooting 44% from three-point range, vlogging double figures for this team, while Marquise Barnett, he's been Mr. Do-It-All out there in the backcourt. Doesn't necessarily shoot a ball from three-point range, but chips in their three assists, two seals, 13.5 points per game. Now, when it comes to this Presbyterian team, you've only got one guy that's giving you north of 4.7 rebounds per game, as you've been able to get in that neighborhood about nine points, five and a half rebounds per game out of Jonah Pierce, but they do a relatively solid job and a hole is greater than the sum of its parts sort of approach with this now. Just doesn't compare to High Point. High Point, number three in all of college basketball with regards to a rebound rate. Meanwhile, this Presbyterian team, they're more around 230th and for High Point, they should be able to find a way to be able to get a lot of second and third chances as you've got Kamani Hamilton, you've also got Jonah Bodu Bodu. These two guys have been able to combine for about 16 rebounds per game and when it comes to Duke Miles being able to give you three and a half assists, 19 and a half points on 37% three-point shooting. That's hard to guard. It's a High Point team that is in the top 30 nationally. Turns point scored on a per possession basis, but they've also been getting gashed defensively. Last time they gave up fewer than 70 points in a game. You have to go all the way back to December 19th when they played against Greensboro. That was six games ago. This is a Presbyterian team that they themselves have been having their rough goes of it with regards to the defense, but now the offense has been able to ascend a little bit as well. They've been able to get to at least 68 points and now six out of their last seven games. I do think the Presbyterian can hold in there against a high point team that's been very high flying, but I do think the Presbyterian able to get enough threes to be able to hold in there did semi total 151 half. I do think that we're going to see a little bit of regression with this high point team, a team that just hasn't scored as many points in a roadside shoot record environment rather than at home. And Presbyterian is a little bit of a lower tempo team, so looking at the under and won't take anything north of seven here with Presbyterian. 3 at 6 5 11, 3 at 6 5 12. Radford is playing host to Gardner Webb. Gardner Webb is an underdog of five points. Your total on this game is 141. Semi line at nine. I'm going to be willing to lay it with Radford. Radford has a big three in the backcourt that I have like Brian Antoine, Keenan Giles, along to Quan Smith. These three guys have been able to combine for about 41.5 points per contest. You've been able to get some good production out of Antoine in terms of 1.4 steals and 42% three-point shooting. Giles and Smith, they are able to draw out the ball with about 4.5 assists per contest. And then the Bowling Green transfer and Chandler Turner down for what? 11.6 boards. It's been a little bit touch and go with him, but he's really been able to come through and give this team some nice production recently going up against the Gardner-Webb team that's now outside the top 200 in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. They don't have the same shot blocking that they did a season ago as well. Kareem Reed, along with Lufile Dufil, both gave you north of block and half per contest. Now they average 2.3 blocks per contest as a collective. Meanwhile, their terrible free throw shooting is still there. They don't have a single guy that is averaging north of 3.5 points per game that shoots above 69.5% of the free throw line. As a collective, 65.2% of the charity stripe. Bottom 30 mark in all of college basketball. They only have one guy that's giving you north of 4.5 rebounds per game, Michaela Robinson. Robinson and Julian Sawormo have been able to combine for about 27 points per game, and Sawormo is able to shoot 35% 
40% from three-point range, but this team is going to get smashed down low as Justin Archer has been able to give you about nine rebounds per game for a Radford team that, while they don't necessarily have tremendous size, they're about 235th in the country. In terms of overall rebound rate, it certainly beats what Gardner-Webb has been putting out there. Gardner-Webb now 268th in the country. In terms of overall rebound rate, you do have a Gardner-Webb team that only turns the ball over about 11 times for contest, but they don't really generate a lot of seals, and it's a Gardner-Webb team that's really fallen on tough times defensively. 85 plus points surrendered in four of their last five games. It is a Radford team that they played that three overtime game against Winthrop, so that made things very harebrained. In regulation, they had given up 67 points, so against teams other than High Point and also Clemson, this has been a Radford team that's been able to do a relatively solid job defensively as they've given up 67 points or fewer in four of their last six games in regulation, so it's a good old situation of something's got to give. I did sell my total at a 141, and right now we are seeing some 140 naps popping up as well. The 141s have juice to the under, so we'll be looking over there, and with Radford, set them as a nine-point favorite. We'll delay the number, and we'll wrap things up with 3 of 6, 5, 13, 3 of 6, 5, 14. AV is going to be playing on Lehigh. Lehigh is an underdog of two points. So the last game, 143.5, and with Lehigh, I did set them as an underdog of four and a half points. I'm going to be wanting to lay it with Navy. Navy has been able to do a tremendous job defensively, and we've seen a couple of hiccups from them in Patriot League play, but I do think that they're going to be able to bounce back here against a Lehigh team that may have been anything but tremendous offensively. 219th of the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They are allowing about 9.7 points more per 100 possessions when they leave home. Meanwhile, it's a Navy team that they really lack a lot of outside shooting, but for Navy, top 80 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. For Navy, you've got Donovan Draper, who's going to be the best rebounder in this game. He's been able to give the team right around 9 to 10 points, shipping in there a little bit over 8 boards per contest as well, going up against a Lehigh team that has Dominic Perlin giving them 6 rebounds per game, but he's been dealing with injury over the last few games. You've got Tyler Whitney, Sidney, Keith Higgins. They've been the top two scorers for this team, combining for about 29 points per contest, but Higgins most likely going to be out the full once again. He missed pretty much all of last week, and it's a Lehigh team that they rely upon in scoring. They shoot about 31.5% from three-point range as a collective, and he's not, if he's not able to go, Bube Muma, he's a six foot eight combo sophomore, has been able to shoot 57% for three, and in the last few games, without having our good friend Higgins in the fold, has given the team 23 points, and a shot at well from three. It's probably going to be seeing a lot more minutes, but Lehigh's turned the ball for right around about 13 times for contest. Well, Navy's not supreme with regards to their amount of seals. They do have a guy that is able to give them 2.7 seals per contest, and Mr. Draper, who I was mentioning before, and also does a great job on the glass. This is a Navy team that, in terms of turnover force on a per-possession basis, a top 50 team. And for Lehigh, in their first two games without Higgins, they lost both of them to Bucknell and Holy Cross at home. I just don't see how the results are going to be a whole heck of a lot better going up against a Navy team that all of a sudden has found some offense, scoring 70-plus points in three of their last five games. But I do think that for Lehigh, the injuries are going to hurt their offense. So I did something to all 140 and a half, diving in on the under of Navy, willing to lay it before with them. And that'll wrap things up for the Wednesday edition of Coast to Coast Super Style, part of the Visa Family Podcast. A big thanks to... Uh, Rob Donaldson, who does great work with the show slash podcast, Rob's the best, best for joining me in the live segment. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Coast Coast Heaps, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline, at TuneIn underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters here. Maybe it does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And from there, terrible fire and whatever you'd like here on this podcast, five that five star coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season which means I'm coming at you once again now. Thank you so much for tuning in.
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.